Are we live? We are rolling, minute, and we are right? 35 seconds from being live. <laughs> All right, fuck it. We can do it live. <laughs> I need my drink. You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. Oh, right I on. My technology away. Hey, internet, how's it going? <laughs> this is—it's so exciting! Woo! It's like being on TV. <laughs> Welcome to episode number seventy-six of the motherfucking podcast. This is, of course, the official podcast of the international power rock combo, motherfucking ruckus, the rad in Colorado, and certainly the rad in ineradicable. <laughs> I'm your host. Aaron Howell, got Gordo in the booth. Dig it out. How you doing, Gordo? Well, I'm well. How are you? I am also well. Thank you for being here today, man. I'm glad you're here. Oh, God. Uh, Thank you very much to Yolo Rum for handling our live stream today. Wiggins is in the house making it go down. Thanks for being here, Wiggins. Appreciate you, dude. And then uh, also, big shout out at the very top of the show uh, goes to our patrons, Fucking love you guys. All the people who back us via a small monthly contribution at patreon.com slash mfruckus. Our patrons get access to exclusive content, uh, behind the scenes stuff, all the gossip and drama you can handle. <laughs> Pretty much the band feed. Get access to all that stuff. And uh, and yeah, in exchange, we try and hook them up as much as we can with... or. Uh, in ex- you know, we try and hook them up with as much as we can, like uh, VIP parties with beer and food and tickets to shows and things like that. And uh, and yeah, man, it goes a really long way. It helps us to keep the podcast going, to keep the YouTube channel going, and keep the comic going. And of course, the most important thing, making rock and roll records with our friends. Do you ever have any contests on there to see like if Patreon viewers or uh, subscribers can, can actually get some kind of a riff to you faster than someone in your band? <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. So I did have this idea, and and if I get enough interest in it, we'll do it. But I, I pitched it to the guys, and they didn't care for it. <laughs> so here's <laughs> let me run this by you and see what, what what you think. And let me run this by you. Yeah. yeah. Is I had this idea to um, be, because we don't get together and have like rehearsal rehearsal every week since Tony lives in Chicago. Sure. And. Everybody's pretty much recording at home now, so we're really only getting together when we plan something or when we have a gig. Sure. So I was like, we need to we need to keep the contact thing together, and we should figure out a way we can use this you know great studio here at the Nug Nation to help build another piece of content. So I'm like, what if we have the demo a week challenge, which is where we you know Tony sends us a riff and we pass it around on GarageBand you know we share the project and yeah. we all work on it and then the challenge is to have a new demo every week and then what we could do is do like a Google Hangout thing where we go on and as a group we listen to the demo and we kind of like critique it and talk about our process and whatnot and then offer up a link to the project 
so that fans and patrons and whoever else is interested can take the project and do their own remix of it, either go in and do their own vocal on it or go in and play their own drums or remix it and turn it into a, you know, the, the next big dance hit or something <laughs> like whatever they want to do. Yeah. And I thought that would be a really fun idea. And I'm like really excited about it. And I'm telling Tony on the phone the other day and he goes, Hmm, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess we could try it. And if anybody cares about it, but I, I just wouldn't feel comfortable sharing an idea with people that's not done. I'm like, that's the fun part about it. Right, yeah, yeah. It becomes a done. collaborative effort instead yeah. of just, yeah. I it's would actually be, uh, if I were doing it for in my control, my band would never do this either. But uh, <laughs> but This it, week on ideas that your band will never try. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah exactly. Like any, Feel free, anybody, to pick these up. Um, but uh, I would totally just throw out, like, just a bucket of riffs and be like, rate these. <laughs> <laughs> just like creating a uh, what do you call it a focus group for riffs just like okay now what we're gonna do is we're gonna play you several riffs and I just want you to tell us how they make you feel okay here's the first riff and there's just someone standing in the corner in a in a lab coat with a <laughs> pen and a clipboard just going mm, that's mm. a little bit more elaborate than I envisioned but, the, <laughs> but yeah you know like yeah it, it would just be like suck not suck <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the votes that you can take. Yeah, or it's like the uh, the the thing that they have at the the post office and at the DMV where you just push like a number of faces <laughs> to talk about how your experience was. You know, smiley face. I always hit the smiley face because, like, I went to the DMV today and I hit the smiley face before I even dealt with the guy, <laughs> just because I feel bad that they probably have so many people who are just going in there like just ringing it like an angry ex-girlfriend at the front door, you know? I think a better scale would be the one at the doctor's office with all the faces, like the face, faces. <laughs> it's just like, how how's your pain level? Roommate? Pain level, howling in pain, and then like just like, oh, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> and there's always the one face at the very bottom that is like the most extreme one that's like, <laughs> yeah, mind-blowing pain. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you're in that much pain, you're probably not going even to be able to tick off the box next to that face. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in for this episode of the podcast. This is our second live stream episode, Ooh. and uh, we're pretty stoked about it. And I'm pretty stoked for the guest that we have today because he has tons of experience in the, uh, in the video field, but primarily you would probably know him as the founder, operator, and uh, chief bottle washer of <laughs> Seventh Circle Music Collective. Please welcome to the show a good, 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 good man, a treasure in the Denver local music community. Please welcome Aaron Say to the show. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much, dude. Appreciate dude, that. Thanks thanks for coming on. See, yeah, now, yeah. now at this point, we're just going to forget that the cameras exist, and we're just going to have a conversation, Beautiful. and we're going to quit putting on a performance for people. <laughs> We just had to get the, you know, we have to get stuff out of the way at the beginning. Yeah, it's yeah. like, please stay on. Keep uh -huh. watching. All right. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Now we, now we got to forget that they're even there. Cool. So, dude, thanks for coming in to talk with me. Mm -hmm. man. I've been looking forward to this because it's like. Me too. I know. I know. I mean, you can't help but know that Seventh Circle exists. Like. Hopefully. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's the way I feel about it is it's like. If somebody says, are there any good all ages, like underground spots in Denver? Sure, yeah. You know, when I was younger, and, and I mean, you were around for a ton of this. Yeah. Is pretty much it was like, 
What about this place? Oh, that place got shut down. Right. What about this place? Oh, that place got raided by the cops. What about this place? Oh, that place burned to the ground. You know, like, like yours is the first all-ages venue that I've seen in Denver. In Colorado, I mean, obviously, there's places like Gilman Street and San Francisco sure, and things course, like that, yeah. that that are like that are like mainstays. Mm-hmm. But Seventh Circle is the first first all ages independent like DIY venue that I have seen last as long as it has and grow as much as it has and maintain like not only legitimacy in a street cred sort of sense but legitimacy in a just like a business sense like you guys have managed to keep your doors open with with minimal harassment from authorities and like you guys are above board right Mm -hmm. yeah so for people who don't know because, I mean, a lot of the people who are going to be watching this and listening to this are going to be people who are f- friends and fans of yours because, you you know, you've touched a lot of lives with what you do, man. Thank so for you. the people who don't know, because we have people kind of all over the world and people in different bands all over the place mm-hmm. who listen to this, just kind of what is your what is what is the description of uh of no that was that was me hitting the spring oh, on that cool <laughs> you're like my phone man my phone noise. was on silent <laughs> uh, um <laughs> no what what is seventh circle music collective like what <clears throat> what is the mission who are you guys sure um so seventh circle is a diy venue uh which in essence means a volunteer run community run venue that is run by and for members of the community okay and uh the prime focus is to be all ages and to be you know non-exclusive in that in that way because that is super important and paramount to building any music scene is to right. keep it all ages because you know if you're restricting access to live music to people when they're actually getting into live music when at, it's becoming a part of their life right exactly yeah. at age 14 or 15 or whatever it is then like you're shooting the whole scene in the foot, you know? Like if I hadn't started going to shows when I was a teenager, exactly. I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I am no, right now. No, neither of us would be in this room right now. Yeah, yeah. not at all. Mm-hmm. We'd be we'd be what? Working at the Gap or something. No <laughs> idea. <laughs> I have no, no idea. idea. I've no idea what my life would be like if that was the case. So, yeah. now this is the only history that I have for context. Okay. You took over the Blastomat, right? Right. And the Blastomat was more of your traditional type of underground like venue like it was it was warehouse shows essentially right kind of i mean it was it was more or less the same thing it was you know it was it was much more underground though and there was definitely a period of time where they weren't putting the address on the flyers just for the sake of preservation of the venue's existence and all that kind of thing right you know ask a punk kind of sort of stuff right right um and there's and there's still there are still venues like that today. Right, absolutely. Um, what, your mom's house is like that, right? No, that was actually what we called Blastomat for a minute. When, really? When things were hairy therefore with, with some authorities, there was a brief minute in like 2008 that Blastomat was referred to as your grandma's house, actually. Isn't there another place There is though, a right place now? called your mom's house. It's a, it's a bar venue uh, right next to Wax Tracks on 13th. Oh, uh, okay. So they're, they're above board too, but they okay. just chose the name your mom's house for whatever okay. reason. I, I must, but, be, I must um, be thinking of something else. Yeah, no, there, there are a couple others uh there's one called glitter city that is kind of like ask a punk for the address sort of thing at this point um it used to be called thought forms and it was kind of almost the same sort of scenario where like blastomat 
changed hands and changed names and right. thought forms changed hands and changed names. So, but it's kind of the same thing. Um, Rhinoceropolis was another one that was kind of that way. This, Are they I mean, now they're gone? They're, they're no, around. they're back. They, they were gone for a minute and they're back now and they're above board as well. And so it's, you know, totally fine to as you might put imagine, the address on the flyers and all that. Right, right. But, as you might imagine, it has been a long time since I've set foot in, <laughs> in a DIY venue. And, and we were kind of talking about this before we got on mic. And a lot of that has to do with uh, what Karen Kudo was talking about mm-hmm. in, in her episode, which is the rock or be rocked kind of thing. Right. Like you only have so much time. So really the only time I get to go out and see shows is if I'm playing them. Right. So I have to book a show with, <laughs> with the bands that we're playing with. And you and I have kind of touched base over the years about the possibility of doing something. Right. But you've it's been- It's never actually happened. It's though, never yeah. actually happened because you've been busy enough with what you've had going on that you never have had to come solicit me. Right. <laughs> and we've been busy enough doing our own thing that just we've never gotten around to soliciting you. Right. But I mean, I, I mean, I would love to come do. Oh, it'd be a blast! Yeah, it'd be a blast. Yeah, yeah. But um, what would you say? What would you say is is the difference that makes the difference between these like ask a punk type of venues that that tend to be a little more fly by night and tend to maybe collapse or 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 at at best be destabilized to some degree, right? Because they're they're not above board. Mm-hmm. You know what what is the biggest difference between what Seventh Circle does and what most like traditional DIY venues, um, my, the model that they might follow? Like, what is it that keeps you guys afloat? I mean, honestly, it's being above board. It's and, it's and so the, what it's is the that boring entail? the boring busy work of like actually having a business entity and filing taxes and paying ASCAP and BMI licensing fees and like all the real stuff that real traditional venues out there have to do. And you're the numbers guy for the yeah. for Seventh Circle, right? Yep. So really, the only difference at the end of the day is having somebody that is willing to sit down and actually actually hit the books and make sure that 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 things are getting done in 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 the correct way i mean that's part of it it's not the only thing i mean there's a whole other side of things which is like you know passing fire inspection and making sure the building is up to code for having live events that have x amount of people showing up to congregate you know and that has been one of the main things that i've seen a lot of diy venues around the country get shut down for is not being up to fire code or not having enough you know, like it's it's nuanced little things like not having enough exit doors, right? Or not having an exit door that swings the right direction, right? For X amount of people to be or allowed to be issues. in that room, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Like, I mean, there's always or not paying certain taxes and fees and getting way in over their head to the point that they can't pay it off. Sure, yeah, that right. that's that's certainly something too, I'm sure. But um, the main the main thing that I've seen them get shut down for nationwide has been either fire code noncompliance or. Um, providing or selling alcohol without a license. Now, that's something that I wanted to touch on with you is what is it that that is philosophically different and, and culturally different with Seventh Circle with regard to the ask a punk party venue type of spot you guys are alcohol and drug free correct that's that's the idea yeah and uh everything you guys do is alcohol and drug free well so i mean we don't put it out there on any sort of paperwork or whatever but we do allow byob if you're over 21 we id everybody at the door right and 
we kind of are just doing that until someone says that we shouldn't or can't. And right. so far, so good. No one has. So right. And and I know, wonder. I wonder. Don't what the... come calling liquor board. <laughs> um, although if you do, hey, I don't mind going dry. I don't drink, and I think that people when they get drunk act stupid most of the time. Yeah. So like, hey, I wouldn't mind going dry at all. It would be more hassle for us as a venue to like regulate that at the door and have to be a part, be on top of it. But I mean, so far it's overwhelmingly been problem free. That's really cool. And, and how long have you guys been going now? So Seven Circles been open for just over. Seven years now. Seven years, yeah. dude. Isn't it wild? You guys have been going a long time. Yeah. And that's a long time to, to that's a long time to have that policy and have it never manifest as an, an, an issue. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's almost always a matter of time. When I was a kid, <laughs> I hung around with a lot of of older gentlemen who were only too happy to help me get intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's that's not an issue now. Do you think that that has to do with having a lot of um, a lot of volunteers around who are on board with your with your mission and your set of values? I mean, yeah, that's definitely a huge part of it because you know when you come on to be a volunteer at Seven Circle, we basically kind of lay out here's how we operate and here's why it's important. Right. And so they're only too happy to go, okay, well, that's what we have to enforce. Like the minimal amount of rules that we have to enforce are literally just for our sustainability and for our preservation as as a space. Right. And so there's that, but it also has a lot to do with the community that we built because the kids that come there understand that. They understand that if they drink underage there, then they're jeopardizing the very existence of this place that right. they love so much. So they kind of keep each other in check. Right. There's that. And then, um, you know, it's just, it, it, it it's a huge and overwhelmingly the, the, uh, the control lies in the hands of the kids and each other. And it is a lot of a kind of like self-policing sort of scene where everybody loves coming to the place if they're showing up there and they understand that if they jeopardize and get the place shut down, then that's on them and they don't want that to happen. And so, you know, of course, every once in a while we'll have to deal with some, you know, underage kid who's get drunk and then we have to just either, you know, kick them out if they're that far gone or at least take away the alcohol and explain to them, hey, this is why you can't do this here. And then if they choose not to respect that, then they choose not to come around. Have you you always been drug and alcohol free? I have, yeah. Wow, I was straight edge before I knew what straight edge was. Really? That's just just the way that you've operated. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you know, I... I don't drink or use hard drugs. Sure. You know, I use I use cannabis. You saw the giant trash bag of edibles that, <laughs> that Joey brought yeah, in the yeah, beginning. Before we started and I almost going. feel like I need to go grab and like show the people watching when we're on the break. <laughs> I Just, dare you. Dude, this <laughs> is a ma- like he brought in a massive like a trash bag full of edibles for me. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Joey, there's no way I'm gonna be able to eat all these. Yeah, I know it was great because you offered me some and I was like, No, I don't no, partake and you but, I was like, All for you, take it all. But, like, no, but it's too much. I um you know, I, I quit because of the damage that it was doing. Mm-hmm. And something I've been noticing, and, and you being around young people so much more. Right. Because I've been in the bar scene since I was 21. Sure. So I've had very little involvement with, like, the all-ages world. Right. And I'm, st- you know, having a kid now, I'm starting to take more of an interest in, in learning more about it. And something I've been observing just with young people in general, and I wanted to see if this is something that you've observed. Do you think that drugs and alcohol are less punk rock now than they were when we were younger? I think in certain 
sections of punk rock, absolutely, because yeah. the the straight edge movement and the sober movement and just like being there for each other and being there to help your friends through their addiction struggles is a huge thing that I'm right. seeing in the in the scene right now. Like, are you seeing are you seeing more people, more young people at shows for whom? Like sobriety is just their default choice. Like I just have kind more of more so than it used to be. Yeah, it, yes. it definitely seems like I don't know if responsible is the right word, but it definitely seems like younger kids are more responsible now than I was when I was that age. Sure, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I feel that way too. I mean, because well, how old are you? When did you get I'm, into this? I'll be I'll be thirty eight in in March. Okay, and I so got, you're like I three started, years older than me. Yeah, I started playing shows in ninety six, ninety seven. Okay, so I was probably going to shows by that point. Right. You know, I was I was interested in shows by ninety five at, at least. Mm-hmm. So when I was going to shows, it was a lot more warehouse parties with kegs sure and you know i didn't do cocaine for the first time until i was substantially older (laughs) you know i would i think i was probably in my late 20s before i did cocaine for the Mm -hmm. first time but i was definitely drinking a lot and smoking a lot of pot you know i i took hallucinogens pretty early on which i still support but you know i i was definitely in that world of like the drunk point drunk punk wasteoid party guy thing and that that was the cool scene to be in right. when I was doing it. And it seems I work with a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. And when I say young people, I mean people that are like 10 years younger than me or more. Right. Sure. And a lot of what I've observed is they tend to have a lot more agency and responsibility and personal accountability than I did 10 years ago. Sure. Okay. You know? Yeah. And, and I'm wondering if you have observed that as kind of, an emerging component of modern alternative culture, we'll say. Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, the only lens I really have on it is Seven Circle because that's just my everyday. Which is an interesting and, sample group. Right, know? absolutely. Um, but I mean, definitely it has, I have noticed a shift in that for sure over the last, you know, 15 to 17 years that I've been going to shows. So I started going to shows in 2002, 2003 as like a okay. sort of a regular thing, you know? and uh, discovered the underground punk scene in 2004, 2005, and started to go to shows uh, on that level, like the Climax Lounge and the Fallen Skate Warehouse right. and all those places. Fallen Skate Warehouse. Yeah, I miss that place. It was so fun. <laughs> it was so cool. That's one that, that the building isn't even there anymore. Well, that and that's one of those venues that we're talking about. Yeah. One where of those Ask a Punk a, places. And it was Ask a Punk and you walked in and there was a keg and you bought a cup if you right. wanted to. Yeah. Right. And, and, and uh, dudes just thrashing it up right. on, on the bowls. The it, was it was amazing. That amazing place, place was incredible. Yeah. But yeah, during that time between, you know, 2004 to 2006 or seven, most of the shows that I would go to, I felt like the only sober person there and it was an all ages show and everybody right. was teenagers. We all were, you know, mm-hmm. and it definitely, I mean, it never like off put me or anything. I never felt like uncomfortable being the only non drinker there or whatever. Uh, Cause I was always just kind of like, I'm here, I'm going to film the show. I'm going to enjoy it. Like you all do you and we're all going to hang out. It doesn't matter. You know, like mm-hmm. I went to a bunch of those, like, you know, like you're talking about the whole, like, like drunk punk party punk parties because those were my friends, you know, and they still are. And, I definitely have noticed a shift though over the over the subsequent years of 
more people being way more conscious of that. And there are a lot of kids that I know in the seven circle scene in particular now who are between 17 and 19 who have already just made the conscious choice of like, I'm, I'm not going to drink and do drugs. I don't want to. And maybe they're not claiming straight edge and maybe they're not in the hardcore scene where straight edge is such a movement. It's more of just a personal choice for them where they're just mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't want to do that. That seems like a waste of my time and a waste of my health and a waste of my money. And I was just like, cool, you're thinking exactly the same way that I always have, but unprompted, you know? Right. And and it's been really interesting and, and really cool to see that shift and to see that it's not, you know, I like, I'm not going to shows where there are two or three 16-year-olds passed out in front of the venue right. before the show even starts, which is how it used to be in right. Do you see a lot of fights? Do you see no, a lot? No, not a lot. God, that's so cool, Isn't man. it nice? Oh, my God, I rem- yeah. I mean, I remember... Just seeing so much violence at shows, you know, I had friends hospitalized, you know, I I know, God, we, years ago, we did a a private party in Casper, Wyoming, Mm -hmm. and a guy got, and it it was, it was just such a tragic thing, because this guy got super drunk, and he was picking a fight. You know, he's walking around picking a fight because people act like animals when they're drunk. Sure. By the way, thanks to our sponsor, YOLO Rum, for me. <laughs> you know, we're pretty much just going to be trash. <laughs> thanks, Wiggins. Love you. YOLO Rum. Hey, drink responsibly. Anyway, um, no, but we would have these, uh, you know, you, it, th- this guy, this guy was really drunk and he was kind of like going around picking fights and, and he got beat up. Mm-hmm. Which happens, which would happen anywhere, yeah. which would happen in the grocery store if yeah, you're acting you're like an maniac. A yeah, exactly. But the guy ended up, people don't realize how much damage you can do to someone in a fight, especially people who don't know how to fight. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't realize, like, you can kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they did. Oh, jeez. This guy at our show got beat up, and then he went home, and he died in his sleep that night. Oh, my God. And a friend of ours happened to be involved in the fight and he was a pretty popular, pretty well-known guy. And so he was immediately named because everybody knew him. Right. And he refused to rat on anybody who, I mean, it was a group thing. Sure, yeah. The guy got his the ass got kicked his jumped, by the show. Jumped, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, the show got rid of him. And uh, because he wouldn't turn on anybody, they, they threw him in prison for 15 years. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, they threw him in prison for 15 years. And and I have, I have one friend, um, you know, who may be watching right now, my buddy Biscuit, who I, you know, if you're out there, uh, you're listening to the show or, or watching it, um, you know, he ended up with like permanent cauliflowering and, and injuries from getting jumped at his show. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I hate that that was the cool thing to do for a while. Right. And it makes you almost kind of have to develop this identity uh, uh, of of being something of an animal yourself, so that as a you defense can, mechanism, as a defense yeah. mechanism, yeah. you know, it's because you you want to be involved in the scene, you want to be, you know, you want to be part of everything, you want to go see shows, but you kind of have to like toughen yourself up a little bit and maybe adopt an identity that isn't complementary to who you really are, right? Because of that, yeah, you have to create this rough exterior to right. fit in with the scene and not get messed do, with. Do you, you know? think that? Because it's it's an interesting thing sociologically, mm-hmm. because it could go either way. It could be it could be the result of an increased imp- uh, popularity in the idea of individual sovereignty. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be people are becoming more individualized now in the age of social media, where everyone's an avatar and yada yada. You know, everybody's a ev- everybody's an influencer. It could sure. be it could be that type of thing, or it could also be 
more a collectivist idea where it is just not as popular to be a wastoid, violent, aggressive maniac. Right. From your perspective, mm-hmm. what have what have you observed with relationship to the way the way that young people are behaving differently individually and as an as a group? I'm, well, I mean, yet again, it's from the seven circle lens, and so well, it's and that's, hard and to that's say. Specifically and that's specifically what I exactly, yeah, yeah, and it's and it's interesting because it's 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 just always been an interesting analysis to me because I can't tell for sure if that's an overall scene shift or if that's something that we had a hand in creating as an environment. And I feel like it may be a little bit of both because, like you said, there are plenty of people out there who are just opting to just be sober or be more responsible and not be a wasteoid partier for their own health and for their own sake or for, you know, their the people around them or whatever their reasoning may be. But, I mean, that's definitely the type of attitude that we try to foster at Seven Circle, too. It's like, come for the music. Right. Enjoy yourself. Be responsible. Be respectful, above all, to everybody else around you and to yourself. You know? I, I read I read um, the section on your website about, you know, kind of the, the rules and, and the values of the place mm-hmm. and, like, the frequently asked questions and stuff like that. And the voice that I read from that is like, great, everybody's welcome. But, you know, treat everybody that same way. Right. You know, everybody's welcome. This is a safe and inclusive place. You yeah. know, it's not in a finger wagging preachy kind of way. Right. It's kind of in this way of like, hey, everybody can come in. Just, you know, like one of our. Just one be of, nice to each other. Yeah. One of in, in, <laughs> in our band, the philosophy that we communicate is is just one rule. And that's just just be cool. Yeah. You know, that's uh, Tony's dad. Dave is like that. That's his one rule in life, and we adopted it and wrote a song cool, about it. And cool, cool, yeah. Stuff. But it's like it's like just be cool, man. That's it. As far as rules for life. In yeah. fact, if you look at our if you look at our um, our Facebook group, like for fans of the band, the mm-hmm. only rule on the page is is just be cool. Cool. And I really like that. That is the voice of Seventh Circle. Yeah. It, it like you look at something like Gilman. Mm-hmm. Gilman is a lot more abrasive about it. I see what you're saying. You okay. know what I yeah. mean? Like Gilman, Gilman is a lot more 80s, 90s punk rock studded and spiked about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can almost see it just like spray painted and stencil, stencil block lettering that is like, fuck you. And this is what we stand for. And gah, 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 like that type of thing. But yeah. at Seventh Circle, it definitely has this voice more of like, come on in, man. You know, it's not it's not a problem until it's a problem. Right. You know, and I think that with that type of voice, you are more likely to call people in who might still be, especially young men, you bring in, well, young people in general, mm-hmm. you know, really young people who are like first getting into it. You're creating this, this, they are in a very tenuous position where they could tip either way at any moment right. and become an amazing, productive, community-integrated individual, you know, or they could go the other way and become an asshole. Right. You know, and so when they walk in through your doors, the experience that they are going to have is very much going to influence the trajectory of the next several years of their lives. Right. I mean, my the shows that I went to certainly affected the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. 
and you know some ways very positive but some ways extremely negative right you know and required corrective act you know uh uh create uh required certain action corrective action after the fact you know what i mean so i just i want to commend you on that for sure thank you um so we talked about going to shows early on in your when when you were a young person in the early 2000s and you're a few years younger than me so how old were you when you first go, started going to shows I was actually a little older than a lot of the kids that are getting into it now I don't think I let's see I, I didn't find like underground DIY shows until I was I think 19 Okay and so I started out going then so I was a little bit on the older end of the you know the teenage spectrum there Right um and I started like I mean the first like "Quote unquote real punk show I went to was Warp Tour 2002, but I was already 16 by then. Who was at Warp Tour 2002? It was Anti Flag, Flogging Molly, Bad Religion, No Effects, oh, okay, Fish, cool. The Casualties. Like it was when Warp cool. Tour was a punk tour still. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, and so that that actually that day, I kind of feel shaped the trajectory of my life because I went with the sole intention of seeing Bad Religion. They were the only band that I even was really familiar with on that tour right. that, at that time because um, they were kind of my entrance to punk rock along with, it was like them and AFI and uh, Blink-182 basically were my entrance to punk rock. And Bad Religion was the sole band on that, t- on that tour in 2002 that I wanted to see. And just being at that show and going and being there all day, I discovered Anti-Flag and Flogging Molly. Who, it opened up a whole new world Oh, completely. For and right. there were uh, anti-racist activists there passing out flyers talking about a uh, neo-Nazi congregation that was happening in Denver in like three weeks and like recruiting people to come and help protest it. And so, so you even I, got into the activism part of it pretty early. Right. That was at the first punk show. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I saved one of those flyers and me and a friend went to the protest. And so what did that protest look like? So what it, it was really interesting. What it was is uh, they the this group of neo-Nazis had set up a music festival. And it was one of those things where like, you know, no one knew where it was. And you had to go through like a bunch of checkpoints to prove that you were actually oh, worthy it, to it go wasn't to like the show. something in the it city where no, they were setting up a demonstration. No, no, no. This no. was like a commune sort of thing. Right. Were, and so but we had, you know, the ARA had gotten wind of it and so they were trying to recruit a bunch of people to try and disrupt it basically. And so we all met up at a park and we're just kind of there and we're trying to figure out where their checkpoints were so we could figure out how to disrupt that. And we actually as a group of people didn't end up physically encountering the Nazis or doing anything that caused harm to their event. But what happened was one of the organizers um, figured out where one of their checkpoints was, and it was uh, the Safeway at 6th and Downing. And there were... The Safeway at 6th and Downing was a, a neo-Nazi? Just like, like, just like somebody in the parking lot. There was like a I car. mean, not to like put, not Safeway, to put Safeway on, on blast. <laughs> no, not at all. It was like that was just the parking lot they chose, you know? Who knew? And so Who Safeway knew? was involved. <laughs> so no, Apparently it wasn't, it wasn't Safeway at all. Apparently not so Safeway. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, Jeez. what happened was uh, the there was just like a car in the parking lot that you were supposed to go there, approach the car, and, you know, like say something or you know there was like a password kind of thing i'm sure that like everybody got emailed out and then like they would tell you where the next checkpoint was and you would have to go there and check in with them and then eventually after like four or five of these they would tell you where the show was happening man what does it say 
And so hold on, let me yeah, finish yeah, the yeah. story because it was wild. So what one of our activist leaders did from our group of people was she called the police and said that somebody was harassing her and trying to sell her drugs in the parking lot of this Safeway. <laughs> so the cops showed up and made the skinheads leave. And then all of a sudden the checkpoint was gone and there were all these Nazis like showing up to the parking lot, not knowing where to go next. And so it totally blew their whole operation. And then they found out that the location for the show was the Aslan Theater at 10th and Santa Fe. What? And they, they called them and the owner of the venue had no idea what he had booked. He had just, the organizer just said, it's going to be a rowdy punk show and everybody's going to be pretty ridiculous looking. And he was like, okay. Well, they, so they she were explained family to owned. him. Right, were, right. And she explained to him what it was about to be. So he canceled the show then and there. And the organizer of the festival was just like, you can't do that. You're reneging on the contract and freedom of speech and he was like, fuck you, take me to court. And yeah. so all of a sudden, they didn't have a venue for their show either. And what I ended up hearing later, there was a big Westward article about this whole thing. Right. And that's how I know most of this information. Like in the moment, in the day, we just like hung out with a bunch of punks in the park and then everybody eventually heard that it had gotten shut down and disrupted and so we all went home. See, But uh, yeah. what ended up happening, I guess, according to the Westward story, was they like found some hall, some like privately owned hall where whoever the owner was didn't care and they allowed the show to go on and they had like flown a band in from Germany and like it was this whole thing. Wow. And uh, I guess all the bands got to play but because they lost so much, you know, steam on the whole thing, apparently they lost like five or six grand on the whole festival and so all in all, you know, we kind of considered it to be a success. That's even a victory, though, I'd even say. Even though we didn't, you know, like me, my, myself and my friend actually didn't do anything other than show up and be a part of the group but uh, the Westward guy who wrote the article, it's a really interesting article if you look it up. Um, it's from 2002, uh, sometime in July or August, and I can't remember what the article is called, but uh, I still have the physical Westward from it. But um, it's online too, for sure. But the uh, the uh, white like me—that's what it's called. That's what the article is called. Huh. And the uh, the author of it happened to be a white guy who was bald, and so he went and he infiltrated the festival pretending to be what? a Nazi after he had come That's not to, the safe way. No, not, <laughs> not at all. He, he, took, he put himself in danger for yeah, sure. He took the but danger he, uh, he got the story by pretending to be a part of the, of the crew. And um, he also had come to the park and talked to a couple of the people that organized our counter-protest thing um, and got some information from them and like really did a very, very good comprehensive piece on this whole thing. And it's a really well done article. And so that was yeah. just kind of my entrance into, you know, the politics behind punk rock. That's journalism right there. Man. Yeah. yeah he, no, that's cool. It was, it was, well, it I mean, was wild to read this, that article. This is and also know. when Westward used to be much more of like the independent local rag. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I, I, I won't get on a back in the day soapbox, but, <laughs> but you know, when, when the paper westward and and muddies were around and places like that, like there was, they, they were doing some really interesting stuff. Yeah, and like it was that, great. that was the only place you could go to to get information about shows. And right? Like yeah, that. before the internet age. So, so first of all, yeah, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I just something occurred to me in the middle of it. And I wanted to hear your whole story. Mm -hmm. So first of all, what does it say about your belief system if you need to set up five <laughs> checkpoints yeah, exactly. just to get together and have a meetup? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. It's like, like you're obviously doing something. That should wrong. be a dead giveaway right there. But I mean, with yeah. with with a lot of those those extremist types, like like white nationalists, you know, radical extremist types, they think that that is that that is self evident. Mm -hmm. Like they think it's evidence that like they're onto something and their cause is trying to be shut down by the Zog machine and blah blah blah. Like 
they they think that the fact that they have to jump through all those hoops to even make it work, the fact that they have so many enemies is evidence that they're on to something. Right. But it, it, to me, it would just be like, hey, guys, maybe we need to rethink yeah. this whole thing. <laughs> You yeah, know, exactly. you know, if everyone else <laughs> there is, is no a safe space for Nazis. Yeah, well, I do think it's hilarious that they chose the safe way to meet up. Yeah, it's like that's so funny. It's like here is the safe way. <laughs> I didn't even think about that rally. aspect about it. That's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> meet the, us at the safe way. The we password will... is detergent. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, and then the other like yeah, no, that's 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 hilarious. And then the other thing I was thinking of immediately is. You know, I do believe in the primacy of free speech, but this is where I fall off the the free speech train. This right. is where I get off. Exactly. Is it's like they it like, hey, man, you do have the freedom to go speak wherever you, you do have the freedom to go occupy any public space you want. Go to the Capitol, have your little party. You know, not hiding out somewhere and not and 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 not at a at a private venue that is owned by private citizens. You know what I mean? Like they have the right to say no. They have the right to shut your fucking show down. Mm -hmm. They have the right to kick you out. It's like, you know, the the people who are like, you know, uh, like extremists who might get deplatformed, for example. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not a big fan of the hair trigger sensitivity of deplatforming that we've seen in recent years. I, I do think it's a, I think the tilt setting is set a little high mm -hmm. personally right now, a little sensitive right now. But like when I look at people who, who may be extremists and they're pissed be because they're getting taken off of YouTube or getting kicked off of Twitter or whatever, it's like, and, and they're, they're bitching and moaning about free speech. It's like, it's like, Hey man, Th these people have the freedom to control what speech is on their platform. Right. You know what I mean? And you're welcome to create your own thing. Yeah. Make your own YouTube. Yeah. Make your own Twitter. Make racist Twitter, man. Oh, not, God. You guys can just sit around <laughs> agreeing with each other. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. That's or, really or maybe don't. Yeah, please. Yeah, or or don't. Maybe maybe, maybe think about your ways and your views and, you know, realize that everybody's a person and you should maybe respect everybody and just, you know, you know, no, um, there's just an being idea. an idealist. Here, an the, idea. the, I was listening to an interview with the daughter of Fred Phelps mm -hmm. and she got out. She of, got out, didn't she? she yeah, yeah, out, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to an interview with her and you know what got her out what? is Twitter. Really? Because and th now this is this is something that is an argument for unbridled open discourse on Twitter. This is like, even if you made like, like Twitter raw, like made a separate one that like, or uh, there is, um, there's a new one that started up that is uh, think space, which is completely, um, uh, I think it's completely, uh, <laughs> I'll fix it. No, no, right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's completely censorship free, but I'm not sure. But uh -huh. if the, the the thing that is interesting about that sort of unlimited broad you know full spectrum discourse mm -hmm. is you look at this someone like this woman Fred Phelps's granddaughter who she went on to Twitter and she is spewing all the Westboro Baptist Church nonsense and she's getting met with resistance you know she's arguing and engaging with people now of course most of it is just unbridled like disgusting vitriol and just people yelling shit sure but a small part of it was was 
intellectuals. I want. I want to say that it was a rabbi. Interesting. That okay. she actually engaged with. It was. That's, it was. Th- that's my neck of the woods over there. Is yeah. it? Yeah. It was. Oh yeah yeah we yeah live, yeah yeah. Literally lived just right up the road. Well, tell oh, wow. yeah. then then can you expand upon that a little bit about kind of what went on with her and how she ended up leaving? Do you know anything about that? I mean, just just in a nutshell, basically, she got into uh, a very public, you know. Uh, Twitter war, I guess is what, how you would describe it. Um, but then it actually ended up being a very thoughtful dialogue between the two of them. And I think a lot of Once it, the vitriol had subsided. Yeah, I think a lot right. of it actually took place like off off screen or off platform. Like there was yeah. a lot of like, you know, emailing back and sure. forth. And then there were then there were phone calls, I think. And then ultimately there's a really good there's actually a really good article about this and I can't remember I can't remember what it's in, but um, I did just listen to an interview with her. Yeah, where, where and, she and was she's talking a really about a interesting. Bit. Yeah, she's a really interesting. You know, from being on that side and then kind of flipping completely. You know that that I mean that that organization is just the worst, dude. Like, well, it's, what, it, like they were everywhere, dude. They went to I'm like all the shows that I went to as a kid. They were there. Like if you know Nine Inch Nails and the Melvins played, they were there. You know, like any of those bigger shows. Well, what's like interesting they about it, they were, Gordo, they, were, they were protesting ballets for fuck's sake. What's interesting, <laughs> about, what's interesting about it is, God. yes, so much of it has to do with their ideology and their, you know, commonly erroneous uh, claim that a lot of demagogues make, which is that their interpretation of of the Bible is the only one that there is or their their interpretation of whatever ideology is the only that there is. Obviously, that was there too. But such a big part of it for Fred Phelps was deliberately being a provocateur, mm-hmm. an antagonist, mm-hmm. because oh, he saw the attention that he could get from it. He, like used it to, was, he used to come up to campus at KU with gay you signs. Yeah. Just to get attention, just, yeah. and like literally just protesting just to market in, front of, the, their in front of the student union, just with the, with their gay you signs, just it, like what, like to, well, didn't what? they also weren't they you know? also uh, weren't a lot of the people in the family lawyers, and they knew that they could do that for their free yes. speech, and then they yeah. could, and yes. then when when they got assaulted by people who disagreed with them, they would take them to court and they would win. Yeah, I oh, yeah. I, I remember hearing They're that. They're very was a big litigious. Part of it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also uh, I also heard in this interview. And, and we've gone on a major tangential right. aside, but that's the way this goes. That's why three-hour podcasts exist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> right, but I remember uh, in this interview, she said three different people, uh, three different documentarians have come to follow them and, and document them and learn about them. And out of those three, one of them actually joined the church. Ooh. One of the documentarians actually stayed there. I, I want to say Yikes. married into the family, oh too. Oh, my God. Because I mean, they're mostly family. Yeah, yeah. It's mostly like mm-hmm. one the family. family yeah. yeah, the Phelps family, and they they proliferated and mm-hmm. and and made a bunch of people, and they put their little signs in the hands of of kids and shit like that. And yeah, it's awful. Well, and and so much of it too is like when you hear about this discussion she had with this rabbi, the way she sort of summarized it is they were kind of quoting scripture back and forth at each other. Hmm. And it seems like such a simple thing that if you had access to mainstream society and you had access to alternative viewpoints or or, or a, a broad spectrum of information, 
it would be impossible for something like that to even exist. Right. You know, she was converted with not a tremendous amount of effort. Mm -hmm. You know, it took it took a a little a little bit of correspondence to kind of turn her around. And I Which think open her eyes. Well, and, right? and, and yeah, and it, it totally did. And that's what's interesting is we're seeing we're seeing so much about how um, the threat of white supremacist groups is, and and radical like hate groups. We see so much reporting about how it's growing and thriving and in, increasing in size. But I feel like the more human beings are getting exposed to the amount of information that we're getting exposed to, it can't help but shrink down. Right. You know, I, I, I feel like it's receding, but it's getting reported on more. Yeah. And I mean, it also could be, you know, things like that kind of tend to grow more right before their last dying gasp of existence. It's like the death rattle sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's, and I mean, obviously the Trump election has had everything to do with that being more of a thing that became more prevalent, but also that became more prevalent in the media. Well, whether it was right. more prevalent or not, just because he emboldened all of those people that shared that extreme aspect right. of his beliefs. Emboldened them to spouting. speak up right. at the very exactly. least. Exactly. Instead of to just stay in hiding where they right. already were anyway. Right. And, from a media standpoint, mm -hmm. now this is the other thing that behind behind the curtain that I think people need to remember, and you know, to me it's self evident, but it bears repeating. Sure, um, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Is you know these news networks, from CNN to Fox to MSNBC, all the way to the Atlantic and Vox and the Washington Post and BuzzFeed and da 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 da, all of them have staff meetings every morning where they get together and they talk about what they're going to do to get people to get eyeballs on their content. Right. That's all it is. And Trump is the best goddamn reality show <laughs> that has been on in a very long time. You know what I mean? Yep, you're not I wrong. met so we had um we had an open house, a Nug Nation open house not too long ago. Uh -huh. And one uh, the, the the guy who does our our 3D printing, who I, I showed you some of the stuff. Uh -huh. He was dating a woman who worked for CNN. Very just fascinating to like actually sit and talk to this. She she managed. She was like a program director for CNN. Okay, and she said the reason she left is because every staff meeting was just all like Trump, 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 Trump. Trump, Trump. There that that that's like that was their bread and butter. And she's like, can we talk about anything else? For the love of God, can we cover something else? And they were like. As soon as the numbers slow down, they were like, if people stop looking at it, yeah, we'll move on to something else. But right now, our numbers are the, the, the highest they've ever been, and, and people have all eyes on us for our reporting on the matter. And she would, she would get communiques she would get you know she would get correspondence she get contacted and, and comments and whatever you get from people who were going can you cover something else can you cover something else that's going on in the world instead of participating in this you know there's other things going on in the world right. that we have to be you know there's thing there's achievements of of human civilization that are going on right now and can you cover some of that stuff and she would have to tell these people be like look if you if you and all these other people stop engaging in this content, we'll stop producing it. But I mean, I mean that like she ended wow. up leaving as a yeah. result of it. You know, uh, something that didn't get covered too much in my neck of the woods was uh, a punk band 
shot a pornographic video on the Westboro Baptist Church's. Uh, I remember hearing about this. Uh, yes, the band, the band is the band is called Get Shot. You can look it up on on online. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not the best. They went to their video property and shot been. a porno. And they, yeah, they, they 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 had to make it quick, uh-huh. as, you might, as, you, as, as you might imagine. <laughs> this the whole thing. Them just like, but uh, yeah, it's like, called that was, fucking in a hurry live was, at the Westboro Baptist that was, Church. That was definitely one of my favorite tidbits of news from the area. Uh, I was was glad it got a little bit of coverage. That's great. Do you think Fred Phelps saw it before he died? I hope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I hope it was the reason that he died. (laughs) No, it's just, um, so, so you were dealing, you were dealing with the, the, the younger demographic more outside of the social media space and outside of what we're seeing, uh, politically and ideologically on 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 social media and the massive news channels like what what are you seeing as far as the way that that kids are interacting with each other in in these environments when they're going to shows like is it is it a lot of is it a lot of peaceful discourse is it a lot of like not even interest in in global politics are you seeing a lot of activism like when you first got into it like what are you what are you seeing going on at the at the shows it's it's kind of all of it. I mean, there there's definitely you know a group of kids that are very very active in the the anti-fascist organizing that's going on now, and there are also a lot of kids who are, for lack of a better term, kind of apathetic about it. And it maybe it maybe it's a lack of interest, or maybe it's a lack of stamina to be involved because it takes a lot to be involved in something like that, you know. And uh, well, we, especially because a lot of any organization has starts to come unglued when it's uh, when its mission statement starts to get um, decimated by nuance. Right. You know what I mean? If if you are going to organize a cause, it has to it, it kind of has to have something that everyone can get behind mm-hmm. it like. It's like, fuck breast cancer. Okay, we're going to go walk around because we all agree, fuck breast cancer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and what, I, what I have seen happening a lot with, um, with, uh, with, with activists in general is there tends to be more gray in the conversation. And, and so people kind of like drop out if they're mm-hmm. not like the most extremely like, like married to the cause, right. I would say. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of that, but, you know, it's been and we kind of wrestled with that, too, as far as like, you know, what does Seven Circles stand for? Obviously, we've got all the, you know, the norms of no racism, no sexism, no homophobia, no transphobia, all the right. inclusivity stuff, which is just a norm for for any DIY venue, you know. And but it's like you were saying, because that's what's spray painted in the block lettering at Gilman on the on their wall, you know. Right. But it, it has a slightly different vibe for us because it's more of a very like colorful, welcoming environment that's like, yes, this is beautiful and welcoming because of these. It's a it's you a fu- it's a fun place to be. Right, exactly. Right. And it's and then, not like we are on the other side of the war. It's right. like it's like we are trying to foster an environment that mm-hmm. create that that supports these values that we have. Right, exactly. And, and it's so, a subtle thing, but it, it, to me, it makes all the difference. Exactly. Absolutely. It's less. It's less adversarial. Mm-hmm. It, it focuses less on. It it, it it focuses less on the nemesis and more on like what you were trying to create. Right. It's like this is what we are. This is what you and we'd are. love it if and you'd be part of please, it. Yes, exactly. Come mm-hmm. be part of it. Exactly. You know. Yep. And so, f- 
you know, being being involved in that aspect of it and being involved in the space that creates that environment for these kids and for anybody that needs it to come and feel welcome and feel like they have the total free reign to be themselves or figure out who that is if they're young enough to where they're still working. Because that's what it. most of it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't think any... Like, I, I don't think... Uh, I think kids are just... You know, I was just figuring things out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you're, well, we all were. Your entire we all still adolescence, are, you know? yeah, right, yeah. right. Well, your <laughs> your entire life, yeah. you're trying to figure out who you are, and you never really figure it out. I don't think. Right. But when you're a teenager, you're especially like from a developmental perspective, exactly. Yeah, trying to trying to develop who you are as a social, sexual, mm-hmm. you know, being. Right. And um, it, and. And so you need a space, and and uh, you know, there's the the term safe spaces gets thrown o- o- around a lot, but I think it's more of just like a like just leave me the fuck alone and let me figure it out space. Right. You know, it's a Mike Muir space. <laughs> you know, just leave me alone. I'll figure it out. Yeah. But they just keep bugging me. You know, like <laughs> it just kids just kind of need a space to go and go. Okay, I'm I'm a person. My body's starting to do things. How do I want to look? What do I want to say to the world? Who am I? How do I tell you who I am? Da, 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 you know. Right. And and I think it's really cool that you are creating an environment where people can come in and develop that rather than feel like okay, well, it's really important for me to be included. So I want to make sure that I adopt all these components of the club in right. order to join the tribe. Right. You know, and, and I, I don't know if that subtle distinction was deliberate, but if it was, I want you to know that I have caught it. Like I've observed it from the beginning since you guys have been doing stuff. Um, you know, obviously just from like seeing seeing what you put out into the world. I mean, the only way sure. I know about what you're doing is hearing about it from other people or or seeing it on social media. Right, but right, I, right. I've like watched that continue over time. And the fact that you've been able to pick up on that and haven't actually been to a lot of shows says volumes right. about how that your message is conveyed actually have been, right. which is really good to know because, I mean, being at such the center of the place, it's hard for me to see it from that outside perspective. Right. You know, I see it from the perspective of being involved in the day in and the day out of everything that is involved with that venue. And I see it in the individuals, you know, because I mean, being who I am and being like, I mean, Seven Circle, like you said, it's it's an influential place to a lot of kids that need it. But I know full well that that is an extension or I'm an extension of that or that is an extension of me, whatever way it is, Mm -hmm. because I know full well that I have been individually a a good influence on a lot of kids too. And and I mean, they would be the first to tell you the same thing. They've told me the same thing. And so it's like seeing it from that perspective, because, you know, the way that that ability to be influential flows from me is just like establishing friendships with a lot of these kids who are our regulars and being that good influence for them when they need it. Which we all need. need Which we all need when we're first hanging around. Exactly. Yeah. And so seeing that from an individualistic basis in all of these kids that I've, that I know that I've become friends with through their presence at the venue has been the thing that has really kind of resonated with me and just driven home the point that yes, we're doing things right. Yes, we're being a positive influence on the people that need it. And yes, we're standing for the right things. Because, you know, when I'm at the center of it and there's so much, you know, drama back and forth about like, how do we handle this situation that came up? Or how do we 
make a stance against this, but still remain just like a music venue that's not trying to be lumped in with any Tell me about side some of that. Things. Tell me about some well, of these things because I'm, I'm curious about what you I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm being fairly to. vague. Yeah, 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 true. Um, so, you know, I mean, like I said, and like you agreed with, of course, we have the, the, the norms of the no racism, no sexism, homophobia, all that stuff. And there have been gray areas where things will happen where like, somebody will be accused of using a racial slur sometime in their life. Right. But it's like, okay, are we going to just cancel them or are we going to help educate them as to why that was a mistake? Right. You know, like we, and and there, there are different people on different sides of that that are a part of the community. And so it becomes a debate with just little, and that, almost and that's inconsequential thing have, things like yeah. that. But it's very frustrating because, you know, based on how we choose to handle it, that reflects on the venue as a whole. And that reflects on me as an individual right. because people view me as the face of the venue and that, you know, I mean so, that's a that's a delicate situation right and in. so you know a lot of the time like my first instinct is okay let's figure out why this person said that what their intention was behind it let's how, get the back how to educate them on why it was a mistake and just the simple fact of hey don't do that again but you know there are definitely people in the in the scene that will say things like no fuck them they need to be canceled and ostracized because of this mistake that they made. It's like, dude, right. they the didn't problem murder is, anybody. The, the, you know? the problem is, is that when you, but it's like, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Well, I mean, it's but not going to win anybody over if you can't work with them and try and figure right. out. And, right. then, like, and then yeah. all we're doing is creating a person who a isn't welcome at the venue when they probably need it the most. Well, and you're creating an army in exile as well. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and, and, and this, so there's this, I read when I was, 20, 21 years old, I read the spiritual teachings of Marcus Aurelius. Mm -hmm. And Marcus Aurelius had this one quote out of everything I've read in that entire book, because it's just a bunch of his musings from when he was, he was the emperor of Rome. Right, know? right. And he said, he said, people are created for the sake of one another. Either try to teach them or bear with them. And that has stuck with me wow, for a very a long really time. One. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so... I understand not willing to, I, I, I understand not desiring to engage with and take the time to listen to someone with a repellent perspective. Oh, absolutely. Yes. But, but here's the thing. Let's take the most extreme case. Mm -hmm. You take someone like Richard Spencer. All right. <laughs> yeah. And if you publicly beat Richard Spencer up and exile him from everything, mm -hmm. Then he goes to a place where other exiles and he can gather strength. Yep. And they can go, we are the exiles of society. You know, let's uh, let's rise up and fight back. And that's back. how you create Nazis. I exactly. If as they weren't already, then they're going to become. Right, exactly. And, and so conversely, if you took someone like Richard Spencer and invited Richard Spencer to a debate with one of the most articulate public intellectuals alive today. You know, there are thousands of reputable, intelligent public intellectuals right now who could debate him into the ground. Right. You know, you he's the best guy on your team. We're going to get the best guy or gal on our team. And you guys are going to have a public debate and we're all going to watch it. Yeah. Because then what happens then is 
is well it could be similar to the the granddaughter of Fred Phelps talking with the rabbi exactly you know I mean you could affect positive change exactly. in this person's life where they're so lost that they're going down this terribly negative path that is causing so many negative effects on society based on their actions right and you could actually turn that around save that person from who they were becoming right and you know affect positive change on a on a right. bigger scale i remember i remember when trump first got elected and i was working at the overland and that place was an interesting place to be yeah I bet. because so like there was people making signs there for protests and stuff mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it you know hey big surprise the overland is 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 run by you know a bunch of lefty punk rockers you right. know what i mean so it was like when he got elected people were pissed and it was time to go to the fucking mattresses and throw down you yeah. know what i mean so there was a lot of discussion and 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 impassioned debate and it was it was a really interesting place to be for a minute and there was you know people making picket signs for rallies and things like that it was really fascinating to watch from behind the bar sure yeah and, um, but I remember thinking to myself, and I had this conversation with, with, with some guests one night, I was like, imagine you have someone from like Mississippi, from like a rural town in Mississippi. Now where he's from in Mississippi, he is considered the most progressive liberal person in his community. And you transplant him out. Let's say he gets into some liberal arts college in in Oregon or Washington or Colorado or, or whatever, you know, ends up at CU Boulder, right? And you plant him in that and he begins to socialize and begins to mix it up and people's different cultural backgrounds start to emerge and the ideologies associated with those different cultural backgrounds. And he starts saying some things that might be unenlightened in the environment that he's in, mm-hmm. you know, like... Someone who grew up in Manhattan, somebody or, or, or Brooklyn or Boulder or Denver is going to have a different experience than someone who grew up in, you know, Tuscaloosa or, you know, it, wherever, yeah. you know, or like Jacksonville, Florida or something like that. You know, they're going to have a different experience. Right. But let's say this, this you know, this guy is really well intentioned and, and, and wants to do it, but he says something in, in a conversation now, at that point, there's a choice point. The people that he's talking to can either scream him out of the room, shaking their finger in his face, you know, uh, ostracize him from social events, or they can take a breath, have a little patience and talk with the guy and try and educate him and develop a relationship with that person, help right. that person change and grow. And figure out where that came from in their head right. in order to kind of debunk what their thought process right. was and go, okay, here's why we feel like this was... Incorrect. Right. You know? Hey, Gordo, can you look something up while we're sitting here talking? So I, I want to make sure I get the name of this woman right. Um, we, we've talked about her on the show a couple times, but I really want to repeat the names of the documentaries in her name so that people can find it. Can you find the name of the director who did the documentaries, uh, White Wright and uh, Jihadist, I think is the name of it. She's a, she's a documentary filmmaker. I think she's... Um, I think she's a Muslim Norwegian woman of color. Uh, Dia Khan. Yeah, Dia Khan. So she did a couple That's documentaries. D e e y a h Khan, as in wrath of. So I, I, I <laughs> so well. What's interesting is her documentaries are not. Part- <laughs> 
Was that Wiggins? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a really good one, too. <laughs> the, <laughs> the interesting thing is the documentaries are not particularly wrathful. She talks about, I listened to an interview that this woman did, and um, early on, she was she was an activist. You know, she was the person throwing stuff and hurling insults at white supremacists in Norway when she was growing up. And okay. I mean, there's what's interesting is in in these very you know hyper egalitarian progressive nations in, in Scandinavia and 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 other parts other parts of Europe. There's mm-hmm. like there's this underbelly of like you know where 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 that stuff still exists and it still exists yeah. in 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 a fair amount of potency mm-hmm. um but she would go to these protest rallies and throw rocks at them and get into it with them and you know she was a very like aggressive um activist mm-hmm. and she's talking about this time and she ended up becoming a, doc- a documentary filmmaker and both the documentaries she did she just sat and had conversations with really who would ever talk to her from these movements. Most people wouldn't talk to her. Yeah. But the few that did, the thing that was really interesting is in both the case of the white supremacist groups and the jihadists, Mm -hmm. they both, the ideology kind of melted away at a certain point. You know, when she got them down into the conversation away from the rhetoric and away from you know once once they got past all their like sound bites yeah and the reality of who they were started to emerge it was interesting how much these people had in common mm-hmm. you know both documentaries showed these guys who experienced very common stuff that young men experience you know confusion and isolation and feeling like they didn't belong and having these these uh, having these problems going out into the world and then somebody came along and groomed them mm-hmm. and didn't even start with the rhetoric right. didn't even start with the the politics or the ideology started with you know like hey i know you're having a lot of trouble meeting people and i know you're having a lot of trouble making friends yeah, it and, just comes from attention giving yeah them positive attention right. And, yeah right. a, a, attention and encouragement yep and people need so little encouragement to do well to thrive in the world yeah. you know what i mean and i feel like especially we talked about those kids who are walking in through your doors for the first time mm-hmm. and the slightest amount of encouragement or ostracizing is going to change who they are. It's going to change them forever, right? And so I think it's really cool that you guys create this environment where people are encouraged to come in. They are encouraged to be inclusive. You know, I think people do better when you tell them what you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do. Right. You know what? Mm -hmm. You know what? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 so yeah, so it's positivity rather than negativity, right? And and we as humans are conditioned to thrive on positivity. Well, we're social beings, right? You know, and and we are going to go wherever we feel understood. Mm -hmm. We are going to be drawn towards, and and this is going to be the corniest parallel. So just just bear with me. (laughs) Did you ever see? Man, because this was like. This movie was total. This movie was the outrage porn of its time. <laughs> okay, you know, uh, higher learning. Did you ever see Higher Learning? No, I never did. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yes, Higher Learning. It came out in the 90s, 
and it it had Michael Rappaport mm-hmm. opposite Ice Cube and God, who else was in that? Those are the principles I recall. Those, those, I, I don't. I I can't. I can't remember who else is in that movie. It's, like it's been a really long. In time. fact, the artwork is just an amalgam of of symbols. But it's just a John. It's a John Singleton film, right? Right, and it's like it all takes place in this university, and like, and like, there's all the like different activist groups. Like, there's like Ice Cube is part of like the Black Power group, and uh, Michael Rappaport comes to school this like awkward goofy you know <laughs> tall skinny white dude and and he like goes to a party and no one likes him and he's having trouble fitting in and then he like meets these crazy nazis and ends up like becoming a nazi himself Whoa. and like dude it's uh omar epps is in omar there. epps is and in it that's uh, right christy swanson hmm. what <laughs> dude but it's it's not just those two groups like it's pretty much the conflict between like all the groups, all the tribes on this campus. Okay. And it's like, it's totally during the 90s when, it, it, man, it's fascinating how history repeats itself, mm-hmm. you know, just like cycles so predictably. But right. like, it's so much like what's going on now, but all they had were movies yeah. and, you know, and the goddamn music videos on the MTV, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So it's, it's really interesting, but it's like watching... Remy, played by Michael Rappaport, mm-hmm. watching his character arc mm. is is a silly dramatization. All you know, in all fairness, in nineties movie classic style. Yeah, in nineties movie classic style. But it like is really what I think about when I think about like how easy it is to take someone that is like you know tofu. Yeah. You know, a clean slate at that point, not a completely clean slate, but, you know, some kid who just like doesn't know who they are, they can easily be, be, be tipped one way or another. Right. There are lots of kids, you know, from my era that were easily duped into hair metal. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel some residual guilt from oh that era. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, I I got caught up in... in it's true. I mean, I got caught up in, in, I wouldn't say I got caught up in gangs, but I got caught up in tribalist mentality. You know, we had a, when I was in high school, we had a crew, you know, it was like a, a skinhead and punk rock crew. It was, mm-hmm. it was a non-racist skinhead crew. Sure, you know, of course, was, yeah, the sharps. You know, it was, it, it wasn't even sharp. It was like, you know, we were more interested in like the, the traditional like reggae oh, okay. skin, skinhead type sure. of stuff. We were yeah, more sharp, into that. Sharp adjacent. Yeah, sharp adjacent, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but, it, and that was going on when Dropkick Murphys and and then the business were kind of having yeah. like a, a, rent, a, a revitalization. Yep. And, and so- the this an oxymoron and you know so the the punks and skins thing was 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 really hot and in the front of the the cultural consciousness at that time gotcha, it had, yeah you know it had cycled back around at that point yep and um so you know i got really into that world and you know we had we had a club and so much of it was really cool because it was this big group of friends and it was you know it was multicultural and and but we also all tried to adopt the same mentality you know the same the same set of values like we became part of the club and we got we got in a lot of fights and we drank a lot mm-hmm. and we participated in acts of 
vandalism and and you know hoodlumry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we got into shit. Yeah. In and and did a lot of stuff that now like I look back on and I'm embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that I think that and and in fact I know this for a fact that so much of that was motivated by just a desire to be a part of something. Right. And you know, I th- I I I'm hoping that the people who come to shows at Seventh Circle are are finding that they don't have to get involved in that that sort of thuggery. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I mean, that's what we advocate for as well, because like you said, it's at an age where that tipping point is so steep, where any t- any kind of influence is going to send them one way down the mountain or the other. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen it. We've seen it go both ways. I mean, we've seen kids who have come in having no friends and having no uh, just no group, no backing, you know, no support system for what they're going through. And if we, you know, if, if they can come in and they can just become a part of our community, which as long as they're not causing problems, they're welcome to come in and right. be a part of the community. And even know? if they do cause problems, then it's we, not like, you're banished. You're done. Yeah, exactly. And it's le- like, I mean, all right, let's sit down and, and let's, let's have a conversation yeah, about exactly, this. Exactly. And I mean, we've we've certainly had to ban people here and there for infractions. That but were, not as much. That were stronger. Just like the most egregious infractions. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't anything, you know, I mean, it's never been anything just super simple. It's obviously been, you know, really really bad shit now, how do you not... how do you find people sir how do you feel people respond to that position on your part do you think that by and large people support you in in that type of mentality of like we're not going to out and out just like banish people right out the gate we're going to have a conversation like do you, do you... for the most part i mean we have we have a really good tight-knit crew of the I mean, I guess for lack of a better terminology, the like senior volunteers at Seventh Circle, right. you know, and like it's kind of like a little just just collaboration of us that make the heavy decisions about things like this, you know. And I mean, anybody is welcome to be a part of those decisions if they want to be. But a lot of people are just kind of like, that's too much. I just want to work door or run sound or whatever, you know, right, like I right. want to contribute to the venue's existence. But like, I don't have the mental energy to, you know, to get involved in this deal, battle, deal with like banning an accused rapist things like that oh wow you know, like Stuff shit to like, that extreme dude, we deal with that wow. shit all the time and it's awful wow yeah. really yeah it's it's so mentally draining and i mean obviously you know we're we're fostering an environment you deal with it often this year we have wow yeah it's been rough do you now do you think that that is more legitimate claims are coming out do you think that that people are just more willing to talk That's about what it, it feels now. like, yeah. Or do you, do you, how much of it, like what would you say is the ratio of like legitimate, you know, victims coming forward and how much is it people who are just trying to participate in kind of like the, I don't know. Cancel culture? Yeah. I mean, people who, not cancel culture is not even the term that I would use. Mm. Like, um, like, have you seen any, like, crying wolf going on? Have you seen anything like that? Or people who are just, like, stirring up shit? Because people do stir up shit. But it, would you say, for the most part, it's been it's been primarily legitimate claims? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely... I mean, that's a good thing that it, more it's people a good are thing, talking. Exactly. And, I mean, it's it's not a good thing that it's happening, but, I mean, right. it is happening all over the place. Well, and, the, the more that people talk more, about mm-hmm, it, the, the more less it'll ho- happen. Exactly. And so it's been... 
that's honestly the absolute hardest part of of being involved at right. Seven Circle and running the place in the way that I do is having to deal with those situations when they arise. And I mean, when it's obvious and when it's easy to just handle, it's just like, okay, yeah, obviously that was a situation that happened and that person needs to not be welcome here because of, right. because of that. And there's no, like fixing somebody like that is beyond us. It's beyond our ability and it's beyond what we should be responsible right. for, you know, because it's, it's, it's more than, you know I mean? We're not licensed therapists. We're not. Oh no, 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 like no. That, you know? And so well, it's like, and obviously, and also you have to worry about the safety of the people who right. are going to be and there. That's, First and foremost, absolutely. I mean, the number one concern is safety at, at Seven Circle. And so we have to. It's like if take somebody came in there steps. with a weapon. Right. If you know somebody, if you know somebody has a, a propensity towards violence mm -hmm. with weapons, you know, and a complaint comes up that is real enough, you're not going to let the person who carries a gun and likes to shoot people into exactly. into the place. Exactly. You're and just looking same, out for someone's it's the safety. same type it's of mentality. It's not your job to try and fix them. Right. No. And I mean, that, and that's where another line that we have to figure out how to draw because certainly we want to welcome everybody and we want to help be an influence in that tipping point at that point in their life where right. we can tip them towards a positive path. But if it's obvious that they're already going down that negative path, it's not in our realm of ability to bring them back a lot of the right. time. Right, well, you're, and you're in part that along situation, the, right. we have to just cut ties and be like, okay, you're not healthy for this community and you gotta go. Right. You know, and, and over the seven- Ideally, you can catch people earlier on exactly. down, the, down the path exactly, and help them yeah. even And I mean, and, and it's hard to see exactly when that is, you know, because if we catch them early enough, early enough on down the path and bring them back, then we don't even realize that it could have been what it became, what mm -hmm. it could have become, you know? Mm -hmm. We only really know that it has gotten that bad when it gets that bad. Right. And so when those situations arise, we have to deal with them and that's just a part of the nitty gritty of, of running a place like this and keeping it safe. Right. And um, so, you know, but but what, what I was going to go go back to was more along the lines of like the grooming of the political ideology right, stuff right. because that's we've experienced that uh there was there was one kid in particular who started coming around Seven Circle when he was young and you know got welcomed into the scene and stuff but then like through whatever teenage drama there is kind of ended up becoming ostracized not by us as Seven Circle but by his group of friends and all right. of a sudden he just kind of stopped coming to shows because he didn't really feel welcome by his group of friends ex-friends right. whatever and he actually ended up falling in with some of the Nazis in town really because they know to pick on the prey that is all of a sudden not feeling welcome in the like other part of the punk You gotta scene, wonder you know? where they find them. Uh, that, I don't know that. That was... You know, is there like a chat room that you go into right, the yeah, like, seriously. all my friends just broke up with me and I can't go to shows anymore group? Like, and they're like, oh, come hang out at our house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, but that was basically what happened and so he... I guess if you're a predator, you know how to do that. I guess so. Yeah. And so he uh, so he somehow found his way to, to hanging out with this fucking crew of Nazis in town and it was me and one other person from seven circle who were like the only two people on the the light side that he had left and we had to have an intervention with him and basically say if you don't step back from this and realize how fucking stupid you're being hanging out with these people and like let us welcome you back into this community and turn you around then we're gonna have to cut ties with you too and you're not even gonna have us two left and how did it, that go it was it was enough to where he was able to take that step back and get out of it 
and he came back around, but he was never really the same again after that. And it, right. he's not around anymore. And I mean, other stuff happened that's not really worth going into. But right, right. like, it really was heartbreaking to see that like this kid that had so much promise and so much potential found his way to that dark side. Man, once you grab onto an idea, it's really hard to let it go. Yeah, and I mean, I There's don't. There's that saying, um, uh, Carl Jung said, uh, uh, "People don't have ideas; ideas have people." Ooh. You know what I mean? So, like, once an idea possesses you, once it takes a hold of you, it's really hard to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And when you do wake up from it, it's almost like, like anytime you see like a werewolf movie, yeah. And it's there's always the scene where like they they transform into the werewolf, and it's this like like super painful experience. But then they just like black out, and they've spent the whole time werewolfing and fucking shit up. And then they come to and they're like, what did I do? Yeah, I'm a human again. You know, I'm a human again. And they like, they just like when you, when you've been possessed by ideas or you've been possessed by an identity, even more than an idea is, is the identity that is the, the entity, the entity of the idea, Mm -hmm. you know, etymologically speaking. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. The entity of the idea that is created as a result of an idea that gets in your head, Mm -hmm. like detaching oneself from that once you've taken it on so fully and it's become part of your body. It's like, kind of like I imagine, like Reagan from the exorcist having scars on her face for the rest of her life because of being possessed by Satan. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's one of those type of things. Yeah. Man, and it's man, it's so crazy to shake loose. Man. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's hard to see it happen because you know that's not the only experience that we've had with with kids kind of going wayward and us not being successful in bringing them back. And that's a really that's a really um, that's a really tough thing. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you mentioned the discussions that you guys have between you and the volunteers. Mm-hmm. So. Pretty much everyone defers to you as the final word, correct? Not always. Not um, always. There, there have definitely been situations, certainly not like god awful things like that, but like there have been situations where like kids that I was friends with in the community have committed some sort of infraction, and you know, it's like like I said, it's not anything. It's not ever been a point of contention when it was anything as drastic as something terrible, like, you know, going to the Nazi house or like being a sexual assaulter or whatever. Like, but it can be, those are always cut. It can be going and spray painting on the building. I mean, it's lighting off fireworks. It can be, yeah, I mean, that's, that's everything along the spectrum. Well, yeah. And I mean, those, those are like the very low end of the spectrum because like, that's obviously just like, Hey, quit fucking doing that. Do you want this place to keep existing? Cause you're not helping, you know, right. If you're vandalizing the neighbors and everything in between though. Right. Exactly. And so somewhere in between there have definitely been, instances where people that I was friends with, you know, did something and it was frowned upon by the community, but me being such a close friend with them, it was hard for me to have a voice in there that was unbiased. You couldn't have objectivity. Yeah, exactly. And so I you just, deferred so to the I deferred community? To the, well, I mean, we all we all defer to wow. each other. We all defer to each other for big decisions like this, but there have definitely been That's instances really cool. here and there where I'm like, you know what? I'm too close to the people in this situation and I see both sides of it and I feel like this is something that they need to work out together. But if they're not willing to do that, then I have to defer to you guys. Situational for, management. Exactly. For yep. like the the final decision and I will back it, whatever right. it is. But it's a hard it's too hard for me to make because I see how this you're could too be close solved a different it. way and I'm too close to the people involved. Wow. And so there have been a few situations like that over the years where, you know, I had to just You've basically had to be the messenger essentially. of what the decision 
decision right. was, you know. So, and is, so, so it's a, like sometimes I'm just the judge and not the jury. Right. But sometimes I have to be the judge and the jury and the executioner, and that's right. the hardest part, you know. God, how do you keep doing that for for seven years straight, man? Because you're like married to that place. Yeah, I know. Um, the honestly, and I, I've thought about this a lot more recently because we've been dealing with some really, really difficult situations in the last few months, and somebody somebody else asked me like how how do you keep going how do you what motivates you to to keep taking this on and really what it is is it's the overwhelmingly positive impact well, that it's I bigger know than that yourself had. yeah exactly and so what i look to you know especially when it's like i'm in like i'm at home at night and i'm like in my head about all this bullshit that we're having to deal with or whatever what, and it's like I, it's never gotten to the point where I'm just like fuck this I want to quit like it's never gotten right. to that point it's you don't never, get Alaska thoughts no I mean I'd like to vacation to Alaska that'd be <laughs> nice but no I, I've never thought about just walking away because the really o- because the overwhelmingly positive impact that we have had on so many people and you really have that I have witnessed and experienced firsthand is absolutely enough for me to continue to just put my head to the grindstone and keep going right because I know that that is absolutely more important than any one of us and then right. myself and then any negative shit that I might have to deal with it's so important to just deal with it because if we don't then we will crumble and fall apart and then all that positivity that we affect on people will cease right and i think about i think about the individuals who have told me that I saved their lives i think about the bands that i love that wouldn't exist right. if i hadn't done what I've done to continue to book these shows at the bare minimum and operate this venue at the bare minimum in the ways that I contribute to it and just continue to day in and day out foster this community that creates the environment that these kids thrive in, you know? Right. And I mean, so many of my favorite bands and my closest friends are people that I know because they started coming to Seven Circle when they were of the age that they needed to and they they experienced what they needed to in order to become the functioning individuals that they are now as right. they've gotten older, you know? And I mean, especially being open seven years now, like we've had kids that started coming when they were 14 that are 20 now. Right. And you've taken, you've taken them mm-hmm. through all of high school. Exactly. And we're, for the first time we're experiencing the the first kind of generation of kids that really started coming when That's they amazing. were that age. And now they're 20, 21, whatever they are. And, they're adults and, and they're they, going into the world and right. they're different people because it, of where mm-hmm. you were during and, their And they have years. been very vocal about that to me. And that's, that is that's what keeps be so me going. Rewarding, it man. is. I mean, that, that reward in and of itself is absolutely what keeps me going through all of the hardships that come along with this as well. That's amazing. And, uh, and, and it's it, every single time. I mean, you know, it's happened multiple times with multiple people and it's so just... Even though I'm very aware of the impact that I have on people and the impact that the place has on people, it's still just jaw dropping sometimes when people yeah, I'm people sure. will tell me like, you know, I'm sure it's overwhelming. This, this to aspect, a oh, it is absolutely. Yeah. You know, they're like this aspect of my life wouldn't exist if it wasn't for for you and for Seven Circle or this you know, this band that I'm in that I'm super happy with and successful with. My relationships wouldn't, wouldn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. Dude, every every relationship that I have, yeah. you know, with the exclusion of my nuclear family, right. comes from the music scene. Same. You know? I think there, there are two or three people from high school that I still talk to yeah. from pre-music scene, Aaron. I mean, dude, I stopped and going to high school long before I dropped out. Sure, yeah. You know, I stopped going to high... I, dude, I... Barely went to high school. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I think I went to all my classes the first month of <laughs> freshman year. And then after that, I was pretty much ditching every day. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as, like, during the socialization period of my life, during the 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 like the the period of what made me to to be an adult, mm-hmm. it was all going to shows and being involved with bands. And we talked a little bit about this with with Karen because after she left Nashville Pussy, she got really involved with School of Rock and oh, cool. Girls Rock and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And so things like Girls Rock, School of Rock, Seventh Circle, they all share this thing in common, which is taking the positive things of that experience that so many of us were fortunate to have yeah and doing their best to try and trim away as many of the negative aspects in the form of you know being around predatory people or being in bars around drugs and alcohol right. or or uh that th- th- there's a lot of danger that you can get exposed to in those worlds mm-hmm. and also incorporating the explicitly educational part of it you know there's there's something that i that i thought of earlier in our conversation that i wanted to bring up is is i remember there was almost a vetting process to be able to get into like true like underground music you know like and like people would kind of throw shade at you if they thought you were a quote unquote poser, which is like the meanest fucking word I you know can think yeah. of for anyone who's like trying to get into that world. Yeah. It's like, dude, we're all fucking posers, man. We're all posing as something we are not. Right. We're all posing as what we would like the rest of the world to see us as. And what we think they're going to accept. Right. So you need to drop that shit from your fucking vocabulary, yep. man. That's just, as I, I saw someone put a post up recently and and I, I wouldn't know who to give credit to attribute the credit to, but it was something like that kid in the jeans and the Nikes with the, you know, who doesn't have any of the band stuff yet. Like that was you when you first showed up too. So mm-hmm. put your arm around them and, and, and bring them into the fold and pick them up when they fall and put them up on stage and, and, you know, help them become somebody, you yeah. know? And um, so what I, what I've noticed is like, when I was a kid, there was a lot more of that vetting process and there was a lot more of that like, you know, catching shade and, and and being treated like a poser when you were like you had to really prove yourself to right. get somewhere. It's like, oh, is this kid cool enough to be in the club? Yeah, you know, like yeah. I like you gotta prove yourself on the streets. And so much of that is what led to my abuse of alcohol. Right. And so much of that is what led to antisocial behavior mm-hmm. that I participated in in order to prove myself, you know, in order to be something other than this suburban white kid who just really just wanted to go to rock shows and have friends. Right. And things like School of Rock and Girls Rock and Seventh Circle Music Collective, they are deliberately creating this environment where it's like, hey, you're already welcome. You're already allowed to be here. We already accept you just based upon your interest. Mm -hmm. And while you're here, we're also going to teach you some of the things that you might want to know in order to thrive in this world. Right. Whereas like, you know, when you're when you're getting into underground stuff where there's more of that vetting process, like information is a little harder to come by. You know what I mean? Or like an audience or or an a little ear time of someone might be a little harder to come across. Mm-hmm. Like you have to like earn their acceptance before <laughs> right. you can get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's I think it's great that like 
we're starting to see this rise in organizations that deliberately and expressly and explicitly seek to create an environment where we can take this fun thing that we all know and love, mm-hmm. make it safe, make it educational, and help people grow and thrive in it as quickly and optimally as possible. Yeah. You know, I just think that that's fantastic because it cuts out all the fucking bullshit. Right. And, and, and all the stuff that doesn't even really matter. Right. You know, it like the people, everyone that I've been friends with since those old days has changed in some way. Yeah. You know, is not the person that I met way back then. Right. So it's like we weren't all the same people when we walked in. We're definitely not going to be all the same people when we come out on the other side. So why don't we just make room for that in the interim when we're together? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's absolutely the mantra that we that we go by is just total acceptance unless you're causing a problem so egregious that you have to leave. Right. Unless you're making it unsafe for other people. Right. Exactly. I used to have this rule. I used to have this rule at Three Kings Mm -hmm. when I when I worked there uh, when I started managing over there my my practice was pretty much and and the the rule that I set for myself the protocol that I set for myself was was I treat this like a party at my house mm-hmm. it's like you're welcome to show up and hang out you know as long as we're open as long as the doors are open and the party's going you're welcome to come in and hang out mm-hmm. if you cause any problem that makes my other guests uncomfortable or disrespects my home, mm-hmm. causes damage to my home, we're going to have a conversation. And if after that conversation, you still can't control yourself or you're still bugging my guests, I'm going to ask you to leave. If you in any way terrorize or harm my guests, you're going to be asked to leave and never to come back. Right. And I think that that's, it, it might be an oversimplification, but I, I, I mean, that I, sounds like it. Yeah, that's I, pretty much. I think it applies. It, you know, yeah, absolutely. That's that's the that's the very short version of it, and it doesn't need to be longer than that, really. No, that oversimplification, if anything, is is perfect because, right. I mean, sure, every situation is going to have nuances, but it all boils back down to that. Right. Now you mentioned something. Um, I, I, w- I would like to know a little bit more about the actual process of decision making that goes on between you and the other and and the volunteers. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have regular meetings? Do yep. you guys so so what does that look like? Tell me about that a little bit. So we do it's usually about once a month or sometimes every 3 weeks uh we'll have a meeting, uh just a volunteer meeting and it's everybody who's a volunteer is welcome to show up. We have the Facebook forum and we have a website forum as well that's just for the people who have signed on to be volunteers. Right. And that How inter- many active volunteers do you have right now? It fluctuates. I mean, we have about 300 in the actual website forums as far as people who have accounts um, and who have said at one point or another, I want to be involved in helping this space exist. Uh, At any given point, it feels like there's maybe 40 or 50 of us who are actively doing things and working shows. Wow, that's still, I mean, that's still still a lot of people to be actively involved. It is, but at the same time, I mean, we do five shows a week and it takes three people at minimum to run a show. And so if nobody's double dipping, that's 15 people a week that we need. Right. And if it's only 40 or 50 people that are actually involved, then that is kind of overworking all of us. So do you guys create like a work schedule, like a volunteer work schedule? Yes. And so the way that works is everybody has the ability to sign themselves up for whatever shows they can. Oh, you do it like a sign up. They, they, yeah, they, they, everybody signs themselves up for whatever shows they want to come volunteer at. And the only way that we schedule anything and schedule anybody is 
basically every other day, I'm posting in those forums saying, okay, here's the next week's worth of shows and the holes that are still in the mandatory staff And then people volunteer for And then that. people are prompted then to go sign up for what they're available for. And for the most part, it works out great. Usually the shows have at least the three minimum people You rarely find it. yourself shorthanded? We've, I think we've done over 1,700 shows. and You've I, done it, over 1,700 <laughs> shows? Yeah. Wow. The, uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the seven-year anniversary that we did on the day. I mean, that makes that sense. We, yeah, it does, right? 1,700, 365 times seven. It's That's like, numbers. It's, it's, like, it's like 250 shows a year, yeah. You um, do 250 shows a on year. On average, yeah. That's amazing. It's wild, yeah. Yeah, um, that's amazing. But yeah, so out of those 1,700 shows... 1700 plus at this point um i think we've only had like three or four maybe five go by completely short staffed to where like the sound guy was also having to like collect door money from people who are coming in the garage because we didn't have a door person but you've never had it small enough that it just couldn't function no we've never had to cancel a show because of lack of staff how how are how are turnouts on average it totally depends on the bands. It really depends yeah, on the bands. Always. Okay. Because it's all, I mean, we're not like, you know, we're off the beaten path. We don't have foot traffic that's showing up just because we're But you there. guys don't have a built-in thing of just like, like a youth group where like kids are like. We do to an go. extent. Yeah. There's, there's a small group of kids that's always kind of like rotating through and growing and shrinking and growing and shrinking. That is, you know. They're like seventh circle kids. Yes, exactly. Right. And they're, they're there multiple nights a week just because it's Shout out open. to the Seventh Circle kids yeah, that I absolutely. know are probably watching yeah, this 100%. right now. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, you know, they're also some of the kids that become my close friends because they're right. there all the time, you know, and then they become volunteers because they realize, oh, I'm here all the time. I might as well help contribute to this place that I love, you know, right. this place that I call my second home. And that, uh, the, the, the third place, as it's been called. Have you ever heard that terminology mm-hmm. before? No, that we strive for third place. It's, some, it's something that gets used in a lot of... Uh, in the service industry a lot. Okay. It's like like the restaurant I work for, you know, part of our our, you know, company language is is we're striving for third place because first place is people's home, second place is, you know, work or school or whatever it is, okay. and then the third place that they uh, choose to go to. Oh, sure, yeah, that makes you know, sense. That's yeah. the, that's the third place. Totally. I so like that. Like, that's good. Yeah. So you're like we're like the second or third place for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, probably the second place for a lot of people because so many hey, people go there. And they, maybe the first. Who knows? Yeah, and those are the kids. That I mean, it's in some really places, yeah, to I'm keep sure. existing for you know. Yeah, um, but yeah, so so we do. You know, that's all on the internet. Every, we everybody has a website account, and they have access to the Facebook forums if they're on Facebook to uh, sign themselves up for whatever shows they want to work and. Really, the only times that it has gone understaffed was generally when, like, I literally can't be there because I'm, like, working some other show or I'm out of town or something. Right, and, touring, because like, you're touring now, Because I tour a lot, too, yeah. And so it's like, I literally can't come save the day, and I would if I could. So, like, hey, we have two hours until the show. Somebody needs to step up. And almost always, you know, people do. Somebody steps and, up. Uh, and you rarely find yourself scrambling to fill fill a position at the last second. Yeah, it's it's it, at this point it's rare. I mean, we've we've definitely gone through bouts where it felt like every other day I was having to post like, "Okay, tomorrow's show still needs all three people," you know, and like it but it's gotten to a point that it's really healthy now, which is really really nice. Well, after 1700 shows, I'm sure you, <laughs> you like start hope, to right? get the, the the protocol down. Yeah. You know, you would think so. But the thing the thing too though is that the volunteer crew is kind of a rotating cast as well. 
because I'm sure you know yeah. people come in when they can, when they have time, when they're 16 or 17, and they actually have the ability and the time to like really start. And contributing. then over seven years, and they... then once it gets to the point that they have to start adulting, they don't have time to volunteer all the time anymore. And but because you guys are constantly have people coming in, the turnover, constant, yeah. yeah, yep, absolutely. That's and so fantastic. it feels like we're fairly consistently having new people come in from all age groups, though, you know, who are finding out about it or finding out that we are volunteer That's run amazing. and that they can come and volunteer at any point, you know? I mean, we've had the volunteer age range from like 14 to 60 throughout these 17 years. Well, John Caseda is one of your years. guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, so after my van got totaled. Right, yeah, yeah, you rented his van for your tour, right? Yeah, yeah. well, because... I broke it down. And I brought it to you. Yeah, you did Lost bring Lake. it to me. Yes, you did. Because <laughs> I had just gotten back from a tour yeah. that day. Yeah, and uh, and well, that van got no rest. Well, and I, I I originally got his info from you because after my van got totaled, and I found out about John, and we started renting the van directly from him. I started doing the math, and I was like, man, if we had kept the van, mm-hmm. we would have had to tour twenty dates a month in order to make it worthwhile. You know, like just to keep the expenses ju- covered well, or whatever. Well, ju- just to make it like I, I like broke it down and did the arithmetic of what I was paying total. Like, because at the end of the day, after you know taxes and fees and gas and sure, da, yeah. da, 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 like you know, I was paying a thousand bucks a month for my van. Gotcha. You know what I mean? You've right. got a really nice van outside. I'm sure that that costs you quite a bit. Mm-hmm. To, you know, a month too. But with how little the band was touring it made no sense for me to have it. And I broke it down and I, and, and, and broke it down to like how much was worthwhile. Sure. And it was like, seriously, like you would have to pay, you would have to play 20 gigs a month to make it worth, worthwhile. Jeez. So, and that's a so full-time it band. Up, yeah. You know what? And it, and it made <laughs> full-time bands don't even always do that. I know. Right. You know, you tour for nine months out of the year or whatever, but like, right. That's the grind. No, but it ended up, it ended up working down like, and, and I mean that with what I was paying to John to use it. Oh, sure. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It, it was, I would have to do, do 20 gigs a month. Right. Exactly. Band, you but if you can I mean? just rent that for one tour, then that, that's yeah, way I mean, easier because you don't have to worry about it the rest of the year. Right. And so many people are doing more of the like weekend thing yeah, and short run yeah. tours. You're seeing a lot more short tours yeah. happening these days, Absolutely. which I think is interesting. You know, it's, it's interesting to see how the markets change, but mm-hmm. we'll, de- I, I, I want to talk about touring with you a little yeah, bit yeah. too, but I want to really quickly keep, keep talking about the way you guys actually run yeah. your community. Um, so do you guys have physical in-person meetings? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have a board of, I guess, a board of directors? Not officially, run, no. Not an official board no. of directors? Um, it's all very, very equal, honestly, across the board. Like, I happen to have my name on some paperwork, and I handle all the boring business stuff just because I know how to do it and because technically the business belongs to me right. as a sole proprietor. but. You know, in every other sense of the word, it is a collective run establishment. Right. And we have, like I said, it's either it's either once a month or sometimes every three weeks, depending on the availability of nights. Uh, we'll have a meeting where we'll all, whoever, anybody and everybody that's part of the volunteer collective is welcome to show up and encouraged to show up. Mm-hmm. Usually it ends up being between 10 and 20 people, which is not that many considering we have like 300 right. in the group. But like, hey, who's that? People work. People have lives. People have school. It's like when it's like when a community has like a zoning hearing or something like that, or like like everybody, please show up. But you know, whoever shows up gets to make decisions, right? And so, um, like the homeowners association is the is the ten old ladies with nothing better to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I guess that's us. We're the. I just like to hear other people talk. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so, 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 <laughs> so we get together and we discuss whatever issues are going on and need to be discussed. And, uh, we make decisions. How often about does that happen? Every once a month, once a once month, a month, at least sometimes cool. every three weeks, uh, if we're doing them more often, uh, we're trying for the every three week model for a while. We were going back and forth between doing like sun, like a Monday night and three weeks later, a Sunday afternoon for the people that couldn't come on Mondays, but the Sunday afternoons just stopped being well attended at all. And so we scrapped them because they were worthless. Right. We went back to just Monday nights. So it's like every three or four weeks, we'll just schedule out a Monday night where we won't have a show and we'll all get together at like 7 PM and talk shop. And, uh, if there's nothing to discuss, then we kind of know in advance, like, hey, everything's hunky dory right now. Let's just order a bunch of pizzas and have a party, and we'll like throw a Nintendo cool. up on the projector, and everybody can play Smash Bros ah, or something. That's cool. And let's not worry about the bullshit. Let's just have fun. And dude, so, it's youth group without religion. Right? It's yeah, it's really nice. Awesome, yeah, man. it's great. Secular and, uh, <laughs> youth group. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And so, uh, so yeah, we get together, and when there are hard decisions that need to be made, we make them. And if it's a hard decision that can't wait until the next meeting to be right. made, then we have another forum that we have that's online that's just the like heavy decision maker people that oh, doesn't really? involve like the other 200 people like if it's something that needs to be urgently discussed yeah. you then guys we have we can get on the internet and do it now if we have to and so, so everybody just kind of has an ongoing dialogue and mm-hmm. you let it go as long as it needs to go and then yep and then reach a decision yeah and you what what put it to a vote or sometimes it depends it, it always depends on the situation because sometimes it's like this is very obviously how we have to handle this but if anybody right. else has any other input on some sort of nuanced way that this could be handled a little differently then speak up there's that kind of thing or there's just like hey this person needs to be blacklisted because of this terrible thing there's no buts about it just wanted all you to know and I guess if anybody has any reason to challenge it feel free but usually no one does because everybody's like oh yeah no fuck that you know mm-hmm. and so um, so that's that's kind of the way that it all goes and we, we have those monthly in person meetings but like I said, I mean, the fact that it takes three people to run a show means that at least every show every show night, there's three people that are together in the same room talking about how that show went or whatever. And so there's always multiple voices as far See, as that's awesome. like what happened or what needs to happen because of this or, or whatever. I feel like that kind of gets ahead of skunking too. Mm. You know what I, do you know what I mean by skunking? No, no. Like, what are you referring to? Harmful gossip. Oh, sure. Like when you're when we're when you're like standing around and you're just you know going just talking shit. The boss has his head up his ass. Oh, you know oh, what oh, I mean? oh, oh, like mutiny kind of skunking. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, not even not even necessarily like mutiny skunking. Well, but like but, what could lead to a mutiny? If right. Necessary. Well, and I mean about each other. You know, right. people like oh, forming sure. alliances, and and I'm I'm sure that still goes on to a degree. I mean, there are certainly cliques, but it's not so much to the point where it's I feel like, like it's mitigated if yes. you have a, a public forum where people are right. are able to like express their viewpoints. Yeah. I mean, and, the worst the worst thing that has ever happened as far as that goes within the volunteer community is there have been people that are like, I don't really get along with that person, so I'm not going to work a show that they're working because then I don't have to hang out with them. But that's fine. That's super easy. Like, okay, great. You can see when they're working a show, just don't sign up for that show. You can avoid yeah, each other. We don't all. We don't Let's all not have, have a problem. Friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah it's I mean, with a group of three hundred people, it's inevitable you're going to have some kind of a conflict here and there. Right. But like, just get along. You know, there's no reason to talk shit. There's no reason. It seems reason like, to like such a simple concept, God, I doesn't, know, it? doesn't it? Ugh. It's but like just, just, just get along. Yeah, just, it, it's like either, either just avoid each other if you can't handle each other. That's fine. We're not asking you to handle each other. You know, even if you're like 
not getting along with this person, you can run sound and they can work door and you don't really have to interact much at all. Right. Like those are two different areas of the building and areas of the show. Like, right. but I mean, but the, it's been really nice because we don't have a lot of that for the overwhelmingly most part. It's primarily positive. It's all positive and everybody gets along. And I mean, you know, the worst well, it's of such it, a positive, like everybody's reaping the benefits of this, right, like the, exactly. the, the positive results that you guys. Exactly. Get. And I mean, yeah. the, the worst of it that's ever been with people that like, you know, there's nothing, there's no reason to get them out of there is just like somebody will go, uh, that person annoys me. So I don't want to work door with them because I don't want to hear them talk. It's like, cool. That's totally that's fair. That's totally reasonable. You know, I, just, I like to just say, don't work door with right. them. I like to say <laughs> we don't have to be friends. Yeah. But we don't have to be enemies exactly. either. Exactly. Yeah. But we do have to. We are required to live on the same planet together. Yeah. We are required to be neighbors in varying degrees of relativity. Yeah. And you I mean know, we're like, even we're even part of the same community, but you know it's right. so easy. The community is so small, but it's still big enough that you can totally exist on parallel paths with people that you don't care for. Yeah. And it's not hard to just avoid them and not cause conflict because of your And not have a fight and not yeah. have like a like a physical altercation. Right. You know, it's a microcosm for for really with the right with the right set of guidelines, how people people can get along. Yeah, you know, people can make it work. Right. You know, it's it, it's it's amazing how much we've developed the capacity to be able to get along yeah. too, and how much more we will see it develop over the next hundred years. Hopefully, mm -hmm. I hope. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so we touched a little bit on on touring. Yeah, you've been doing a lot more of that lately. Actually, this year has been the slowest. Has in, has in been like, the slowest in like eight years. I think. so so let's, partially because my van died. Let's but let, <laughs> yeah, partially because. But now you got yeah, a nice yeah. ride out front. Yeah. Lucky. So okay, let's let's give people who may not be familiar with Seventh Circle mm -hmm. an idea of the full scope of what you guys do. You're not yeah. just some warehouse space with right. a stage. Right. You guys are a venue. You guys are a record store. Mm -hmm. Um, what else do you guys offer as far as services in the brick and mortar shop? Uh, that's about it, really. Um, I mean, unless like we've had people come in and use it as like a film set location, right? And so that's kind of cool. We oh, we also have uh, the basement is rehearsal space, right? For bands, but then in addition, um, you also have like people like John who rent out, who is sort of an extension of Sure, yeah, of that makes sense. Circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I consider I consider him an extension of Seventh right. Circle. And he accesses that scene and says, "Hey, I have this tour I have van this vehicle that I can offer for rent if you are, if you want to go on tour but you don't have a reliable vehicle." Right. He's and he's he definitely one of your proxies. That way. Yes, he's definitely exactly. proxying that mm -hmm. way. So, additionally, you uh, you do tour managing and driving, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what, how often you do that and what that looks like for so you. So it depends on the year. Um, on average, it's usually been between three or four times in a year, and it's usually between a week and three weeks per tour. Mm -hmm. So it's never been, I mean, with one exception, it's never been anything like astronomically long or that takes me away from Seven Circle for a long time. But it's like you said, it's kind of an extension of Seven Circle and in a way in the way that part of the know, universe of what you guys do. Right. right. And but it's it's a cool kind of uh just next step for a lot of bands because, you know, we give a lot of bands their first show, their first experience playing live, their their environment to make mistakes and learn from them and learn how to conduct themselves as a live band from That's everything fantastic. from everything from like 
just simple things as like stage presence or so it's like mostly how to sing into a microphone. Younger new bands, not mostly, but, but a lot of it. But a lot been. of it is, yeah. That's fantastic. And, uh, and so it's things like that, but it's all the way up to simple little things that you wouldn't even know until you get into the situation. Like, hey, build your drum kit in the staging area before you load onto the stage because you only have seven minutes. Small stuff. You know, the half of the changeover you have to set your drums up and sound check and go. You're not going to have time to unfold all your stands and put all the cymbals together and put everything together on stage. And if you do that, you're going to push the whole show schedule like 20 minutes behind. Right, right. And like kids just don't even know this as a concept until they're in it. And so it's been really cool to kind of just be the breeding ground for that to where like, you know, it's like, yeah, this is how you do it. This is why we have you load in an hour before you play so you can set your drums up outside. Fantastic. And then move them onto the stage all completely built instead of dragging your, you know, trap case onto the stage with all your gear in it completely put away. Right. And, you know, then when those bands get big enough or good enough to where they're getting the attention of the bigger promoters in town and they're getting to open shows at the marquee or the they're already or whatever pro as fuck they know what they're doing right. and they're not going to mess that up by oh I didn't build my drum kit yet it's like well tough shit you got to play in six minutes so you better get cracking right you know? right like man I had to so when I first um is by training mm-hmm. I, I I do have a designation as as a coach okay all right so I have I have I have some some training in that regard and a cool. trainer cool you yeah. know what I mean as someone who could set up trainings mm-hmm. And so early on, after I uh, completed some of my certifications, I had this idea to create a like in the van training. Oh yeah, uh, type like like where it was a tour training type of thing. Sure. Where it's like like while we're in the van. <laughs> well, because think about how long you're in the van. Oh god, the dynamics. Yeah, they're with with, with how long you're in the van. You know, obviously, I wouldn't. I mean, if cut you do, out the if part you do like, like a week long tour, then what's you know what seven times seven yeah 42 yeah you're 42 in the van hours, for 42 right. hours in a week right. with other people and if you so if you had the ability to do this now you would need to do it so that people aren't up all night partying and are getting decent sleep and aren't sleeping all day in the van because you would want people to be awake in the van yeah but i had this idea of like building a van like retrofitting a van specifically as a mobile training facility yeah so like you have like a monitor hooked up and you're able to like show like powerpoint presentations and videos and stuff like that and like give exercises to the bands like help them develop their their vision their values their like help them kind of develop develop their mission statement as a van help them develop the the culture side of their van yeah because I really do feel that, like, I think of it like like an old wagon on the Oregon Trail, you know? Your wagon is going to get a lot further, a lot faster if all the horses are pulling in the same direction. Right. And if they're all pulling in different directions, it's just going to rip the wagon apart. Yep. You know what I mean? So I feel like... And if, I mean, you're right, because the only, the only real tour drama I've ever experienced came from people just getting annoyed with each other in that close proximity of the van right? because they had not done it before to that length and didn't right. really, you know, right. grasp how to handle it. Right. It's, it's, like it's that, the that ultimate team building yeah, experience. Absolutely. You know, one, one thing that is kept, I also had this idea to write a, uh, a relationship book, like a self-help book yeah. for bands. For bands, yeah. And it would be all- Because it the, is, it's like a five-way marriage. Well, dude, and it would be all the ruckus guys on the front with like sweaters and turtlenecks, <laughs> like like <laughs> hugging each other in front of a fire, you uh, know, and it would just be like, like present it like a relationship guy. Yeah. Because so much of, 
so much of our ability to quote unquote make it, so much of our ability to survive in this world is dependent on uh, perseverance, sustainability, right. like consistency, treating it like a marathon, not a race. Right. You know what I mean? It takes a long time. Stamina. Yeah. You've got to have that stamina and endurance and you're not going the thing that's going to help you endure when things suck because they inevitably will suck is that friendship. And the yeah. only thing that has kept my band together as long as it has is the fact that the dudes in my band are my best friends and I love traveling with them. Right. You know, when I when I was sitting down with Blaine Cartwright the other day, he mentioned a few times how much he loves just traveling and playing rock and roll with his friends. Yeah. He's like, there's nothing like it in the world. It's there's better not. than sex. It's better than booze. It's blah, blah, blah. Like, mm -hmm. even to hear him say like say that, which is something that I've been saying forever, yeah. which was like, you know, he's like, he just talked about how there's nothing. It's the most addicting thing in the world yeah. to be able to just travel and do that. If you could create an environment where like everybody is not only learning how to be a band, but you're also lear learning how to be together. Yeah. You know how to like, man, it, it, and 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 I the the reason that I kind of turned away from it is just because I was having trouble getting people interested in mm. it. You know, I especially like punk rock and like uh, and metalhead types. I think are a little uh, they're a little resistant, a little adverse to the idea of some guy who comes in like, "Hey, I'm a I'm a coach and trainer, and I'm gonna teach <laughs> yeah. you." How to be in a rock and roll uh, band. Come with me on my seven-day. Nah, they day, just want to do it. You know, retreat. They're like, you can't that. tell me nothing, man. Yeah. <laughs> nah, man. I just want to go out there and be wild on the road, and that makes it impure and some sort of like fake corporate bullshit, <laughs> man. <laughs> Fuck your mission statement. <laughs> I remember I was having a I was having a conversation with um, uh, Tom from Native Daughters mm -hmm. several years ago, and I I, I love Tom Chigoy. Oh, he's man. great. He's, yeah. he's a great dude. And we were sitting at Streets of London one night having a drink. We're talking. And I was talking about how much I loved Valiant Thor. Yeah. Because they have a mission statement. Yeah. I was like, I think that's great, dude. That like they're so good. Dude, they're one of my favorites. I love them. And their fans are just so like loyal yeah. and like fanatical and just like when you're a Valiant Thor fan, dude, you're like, I'm a Thor here, dude. Yeah. Like I fucking love you that. Own it. Yeah. Dude, yeah. And I think that so much of that is because they have, they have this vision for what they wish to accomplish in mm. the world as a band, or or at least they uh, they they were very explicit about that early on in their career. Yeah, you know, even though it was you know this absurd thing of like, like we come from within the planet Venus to like help you know the people of Earth like better themselves and like you know achieve a higher enlightenment you know like yeah. it was kind of this crazy thing but it was in, in presented in this like cartoonish comic book kind mm -hmm. of way but it was really fun yeah and i i remember like like they're like we're stranded here on earth but we're trying to help people like you know that was their thing yeah and uh i was talking about that with tom and he just goes see i hate that <laughs> he was like he was like, when I hear the word mission statement, I think of my fucking job and I think of mission statements and I think of and, and all this bullshit. Like it just, it rang these like very office space-esque uh -huh. bells for him. That's so funny. And I think that there is a resistant in, in the DIY world. It's fascinating to me because there's this resistance to 
those type of ideas and uh, i'm not going on your punk rock retreat man yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like they're like no nah, man fuck that you know it needs to be pure and it's you know and it's for the art and la 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 and like when you start throwing words like marketing and and things like that at people or mission statements or values or or vision or have people you know write down their goals or anything like that let's it, talk it, about developing your story right it it, it all <laughs> it all reeks is very new agey and very corporate you sure, know what i yeah. mean and so i had a little trouble selling people on that idea yeah. and then understandably so but the fascinating part is to me is that i think that artists creative people are like the most potent source of positive energy in in the world yeah. you know it, they have so 100% they have so much of like i've heard this analogy of the or this metaphor of uh the water in the conduit like which is that everyone possesses the water inside of them you know everyone possesses the essence inside of them but different people have a different conduit to dis- to dispense that water, right? That essence, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And really artistic and talented and really creatively driven people and people who've honed that skill have, it seems like, more robust conduits to be able to express that to the world. Yeah. You know, or you think about like all this potential energy, and I just think of like if you took all that potential energy and you focused it. Like you could make it into whatever the opposite of a death ray is, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. A life ray. Yeah, yeah. You know, aim that at the planet, and, uh-huh. like, and you could you could change the world. Yeah, the positron, man. The positron, <laughs> dude. Yeah. And like, I feel like if you were able to master some of the corny and mundane behind the scenes stuff, like really getting unified on the direction you want to go as a band, really getting unified on your vision for what you want to do, like yeah. sitting down and having a conversation about your goals and your dreams and what you share in common, like all that corny stuff. I feel like if bands take the time to do that, it's going to make them more apt to be able to focus that energy and right. really make the most impact, which is right. what they purport to want to do in the first place. Exactly. And I mean, they also, you know, they deserve and they need and they want success as well. Right. You know, I mean, not every band is trying to just get big enough to play stadiums, but everybody wants the band to be successful enough to where it sustains they're out itself there playing music and getting to do it without struggling too much to do it, you know? Like and yeah, to be sustainable and least, impacting to at least people cover itself as far as a financial standpoint goes. And, you know, at the bare minimum, you know, and feeling legitimized. Right. You right, know, right. For what they're doing. Yeah. And and I think that, I mean, that whole thing, you know, it sounds like a great idea, but I absolutely see where you're coming from where people would be like, no, nah, fuck that. Nope. I just want to do it. I'm not doing you know? that. Like, I just want to hop in the van actually with my friends and go drive across the country and right. do it for real. And I never even thought about like, you know what you what you're asking, doing it deliberately th- yeah 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 it was just like I mean, it was like it was like a byproduct you know right. mentoring was a byproduct right i'm talking For about me, going out there deliberately with the intention of mentoring right exactly and i mean to to an extent there's that mentality now for me, but only because it has become the routine that presented itself. Well, and it's it's a continua- it's a continuation know? of the organic mm-hmm. value structure that you already have in place with Seventh Circle. Right, but the thing that's interesting is that I've been touring since before Seventh Circle. Well, then, and so, and so Seventh Circle it, is an it, extension of that. In a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, 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 in the way that you're saying, though, is like 
when when it first started, it was just exactly that simplified thing of like, oh, I like this band. This band wants to go play shows across the country. I have a van and I know how to travel properly. Right. So like, why not do this together? And then I get to see them play every night and they get to do a tour. Like that was it. That bare minimum was the mentality to begin with. And then it just kind of grew into this thing after the first several tours where I was like, okay, I know how to do this well. I know how to be in charge of it. And I know how to kind of like pass on that knowledge to these bands so that they can then do it on their own without me once they, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of like the Mary Poppins of, of the, uh, of the DIY touring world is the analogy I've come up with. I'm just like, you know what? I'll take you on the first couple of tours. And has anyone seen my bass guitar? <laughs> he opens up a carpet <laughs> bag and uh-huh. <laughs> where's the drum kit. It's also in the carpet bag, yeah. all put together already. <laughs> the van's in the carpet bag. <laughs> Everybody oh. hop on Aaron Say's umbrella. <laughs> yeah. But it's been really cool, though, to see that actually be something that happened without it organically being what I was trying for, though. And that was kind of what caused me to realize that that's the position that I'm in. Because I would do, like, I did the first couple of tours with um, with Wayfair. I don't know if you know yeah, them, the, yeah, black, yeah. the black metal band. And, you know, it was like because of those tours that they ended up getting signed to the first label that they were on. That's amazing. And it, all it was it, at the bare minimum was like, oh, we're a band. We have an album that we self-released. We want to go on tour. And I was like, cool. I like you guys as people and I like your music. Let's go on tour together because I have a van. And it just was this organic thing. Of like, this is going to be fun. We're going to be a bunch of friends that go hang out on the road for a week. And then it's amazing. It it's became, the best thing ever. yeah, exactly. It is. And it just so happened to cause them to get signed to this label and then you know, I did the next tour with them. And then after that, they bought their own van and then they, you know, went off and did it on their own. And I kept doing it, but with You're other like, bands. I have nothing more to teach you. Right, exactly. Go, fly, fly away. Fly away, my pretties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so it kind of became this thing where I was like, I like this, I like this analogy, you know? And I mean, certainly like if they still want, like any time that I want to and have the availability, I always have an open seat in their van. They've always told me this and they always wish I could come with them. But like now it's not necessary for the tour's success for me to go with them. And so they're, they're often doing it and I have other things that I'm doing now, you know? And so it's like, I don't have the time or whatever as much as I would love to hop back into the van with those guys because they're fantastic. You know, it just timing-wise, it hasn't worked out again since the second tour. But I've been able to recreate that endeavor so many times with so many different bands and take them how on How many tours, tours would you say you've done? Especially, wait, <sighs> so how many tours do you think you've done total? Close to 40. Close to 40? Mm-hmm. That, you know, that's interesting you give that number because I just told Tony the other day, I was like, I was like, at best, we probably have 40 tours left in mm-hmm. us. Like oh, left. Left. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And I've already you know, done 40. Well, because, <laughs> well no, 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 I just mean like, I was like, if we go all the way to the end mm-hmm. and the mean age that the four of us live to be is in our 80s yeah. and we tour all the way up until the end yeah. and we only go on tour once a year. 40 more years, we've got right? 40, we've got That's like true. 40 more tours left. That's true. You know, when you start breaking things That's down arithmetically, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really helps you get your priorities. Uh-huh. Right, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You better get to work, buddy. Yeah, I know, I know, right? So, but but that's interesting that you say that. So, yeah. out of the forty tours that you're you've done, yeah, what percentage would you say have been first time tours with like taking someone out and showing them the ropes? Between thirty and thirty five, maybe. Really, yeah. most of them. Most of them. I mean, the 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 exceptions wow. the exceptions lie in the bands that I toured with multiple times, which has only been a handful. Right, uh, and and it's been great though because it's like 
that it's when that when that magic happens where it's like this is not only like are they learning everything they need to from from this experience and from me as somebody that's done it before we also click so well that in particular like this tour feels like it's the best one I've ever done and they're just like this is amazing and we all get along with you so well too like we want you to come with us on every single one regardless of if it's your vehicle or not you know when you when you and, find someone on uh, the road that you really get along with there's nothing like there's it there's nothing like it no especially when it's someone outside the van yeah. or outside the band yeah yeah because it's like it's like and fuck I'm lucky. man we I'm really lucky need a merch person, person. when yeah. you really need a driver we really need a TM we really need a front of house part. we need somebody to come help us but it's like god how are you going to find the person that you get along with oh, that can man. also do all of those things properly yeah, dude that is super it's rough. so hard that's, to find sometimes hard. yeah you know what I have so found I've been though, really lucky to be that person for so many bands it's been super cool we always we always refer to that person as our special guest star uh huh and we have been fortunate that most of the special guest stars we've had have been great. Good. Really, the only conflict I can remember having is we had special guest stars that didn't get along with each other. Oh, yeah. And that, we haven't had that happen since early on. Good. We did have have an incident where we had to drop a guy off in another town because Mm -hmm. basically (laughs) two of the other special guest stars on the tour would not stop bullying this guy just because he would... I mean, because... In all fairness, he was kind of a chode. In all fairness, I mean, this is years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like this is like when Jordan Maliba was still stag and was in our band. This is like probably two thousand something like that. Long, long. So this is still fourth year freshman days. Still fourth year freshman yeah. days. So long, long time ago. Like in like before we even knew how to like go about touring properly, we sure. were just kind of showing up places right. and being morons. You yeah. know what I mean? Like well, that's how we all start. Really doing it badly. <laughs> but we did a tour once, and we had this guy that we had found online, and he claimed that he was with some label and had all these contacts and wanted to help us out and stuff. And it, he, like, flew out to Denver and, like, rode with us, and we just brought a couple friends of ours that just – and the guy was kind of a chode. And whereas being in a band forever, we've learned to be a bit more diplomatic. Our other two special guest uh, stars okay. – we're not as um, we're not as delicate in their sure. dealings with. We're not as tolerant, and we just like we just got sick of the conflict, so that we, we ended up dropping the guy off somewhere else, and he went home. But Damn. for the most part, yeah, you know, uh, every time we've we've had a special guest star, even in times like our buddy Jan that we've had on the show from Belgium, mm-hmm. we met him for the first time in Germany when okay. he was coming with us to go on tour, and the first couple nights. We were at the Welt Turbo Jugendtage in, in Hamburg, so it was a big Turbo Jugend party, so he was partying really hard. Yeah. So we saw Party Yawn, <laughs> and we're hanging out, and he was kind of a wild man, you know, and, you know, he was he was letting his mustache down, yeah, you know, yeah. he was having a good time. And I remember er, at the very beginning, early on, being like, hearing from, you know, a couple of the guys being like, dude is this guy going to be a dud? Is this going to be a problem? <laughs> like, we don't know this guy. Is it going to work out? But then that was that was it. That was the one conversation. And after that, it was like, now, because we went on tour together, we became the best possible friends. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. If you can get past the initial storming that happens within groups yeah. and you can learn to get along. Right. You know, you can find that you you build these deep relationships with people you might not normally develop relationships. Oh, 100%. With. Absolutely. You know what yeah. I mean? And people that 
people that you might not agree with all the time mm-hmm. on things, but they're still like, oh yeah, that's that's my buddy so and so. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't live with him, but I sure like hanging out with him, and I think he's funny, and I think he's a good guy. Sure, you know, yeah. that that type of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the absolute closest and deepest friendships I have are from people that are in bands that I've gone on tour with because right. you have that nonstop really really emotionally intense time together for so long right and then it's over and then there's like that post tour depression and fallout that sets in because it's right. just like oh my god I'm not waking up next to those other four people right yeah, now like oh, what? where are blues, they you know yeah. yeah yeah exactly and uh, and so you know we, we combat that by making a point to get together and hang out right. as a group or you know just maybe one on one even still like whatever just because I'm not a part of the band you know, it's like an extra step to just go, okay, well, I'm not seeing you every night at practice or every, you know, week or whatever it is. Like, let's make an effort to continue to hang out right. and like continue to keep this friendship strong. I used to um, kind of make the comparison as I was like, it's the opposite of prison. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of prison. Like when people go to prison and they get out, they're kind of like, they need to reacclimate to being in society. Mm-hmm. They need to readjust. Like they're they're institutionalized, yeah. right? And when you go on tour, you're almost deinstitutionalized. Yeah. And then when you come back, you have to re-enter the real world. You have to from re-enter. The other side. You have to re-enter the uh-huh. real world where it's like, man, my entire focus for the last two weeks, month, whatever it is, yeah, whatever. My entire mission was making the show run every night. Mm-hmm. It was selling merch. It was having fun. It was going from one town to the next and seeing all these things. It was like Make sure making you play jokes right. with Make my sure, buddies, yeah, yeah. you know, seeing seeing the world, experiencing new things, meeting new people. And now it's like, it's like, so what's been going on since I left? Oh, I went to work. Yep. Um, went we went to, to we went to the bar. <laughs> um, I got I got really wasted a few times. <laughs> You know, it's like it's like wow, I didn't miss anything. Yeah, and it's like, and and also like not having that person right next to you to crack jokes with, and it's like you experience legitimate depression and anxiety from being disconnected mm-hmm. from the umbilicus, you know, right, from right. from the the like the community, the 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 commune that all exists in that in that van or yeah. on the bus or or whatnot, and and a lot of times. You know, we have friendships that we've formed that are people that that I, you know, if I ran into, I would still love to see them and we still keep in touch on social media and whatnot, but there's a very good chance we will never hang out again. Yeah. You know, there are bands that we've gone on tour with where mm-hmm. the end of the tour means the end of the at least direct relationship. Sure. It means the ed, like that is probably the last time we will be in one another's physical presence. And many times there will be things where like, you're in that person's physical presence again, but you're not in the same context. Right. So like the relationship different. is different. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I've experienced that too. It's crazy, yeah. man. And and I've just been I've been really lucky that most of the tours that I've done, everybody that has been in the bands, you know, or been on tour like the special guest star like you were talking about, you right. know, like we've had a few of those too. And for the most part, even though that context is different when we run into each other at a show or, you know, I'll go see the band play, but I'm not working the show because I'm not on tour with them. I'm just there, you know, like even still, even given the difference in context there and the fact that it's not a tour, things still kind of revert back to the same old mentality of like, oh, this feels like we're on the road and we're still doing good. You know, like everybody's, uh, 
everybody's still feeling normal with each other and like right. that, that that awkwardness I've been lucky to not experience it very often right. but like you were saying I mean there's certainly been times where like you'll do a run where you're out with another couple of bands and those are the people that like next time you see them it's just gonna be like oh yeah I remember you yeah yeah, but yeah like yeah. you know but like the people that you're in the van with for sure I've at least I've been lucky enough that I've continued to keep most of those relationships very well cultivated well, and, and, uh, and another another unique thing that that happens happens as a result of technology, mm, which yep. is something that I've observed, which is you are not okay. Just like human beings are unable to really maintain more than 150 relationships at a time, yeah, yeah. Social media algorithms are kind of designed to work the same way, yeah. So, let's say you go on a tour with someone their stuff is going to be showing up in your feed more. You're going to be showing up in their feed more. Yeah. But then as time goes on and we continue to live our lives, yeah. that gets uh, that gets saturated a little bit. It gets diluted mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you start to see less and less about that person. And you start to hear less and less from that person as the pool of like, you're really only going to see in your feed the people that you engage with the most. Yeah. You know what I mean? So even our ways of keeping in touch after the fact start to kind of fade to the periphery of the of the social panorama. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Gordo, you're getting ready to go on tour. Correct. When are you leaving on tour? Friday. Uh, where give it, Let's do a quick plug for your for your tour, man. Tell people where you're going and where they can see you and, and what's going to talk about the tour a little bit, man. Granny Tweed is heading out on their Ape Shit Mood Ring Tour. <laughs> yeah, promoting the record, dude. Yes, Friday night in Kearney, Nebraska, the other side. Right on. Saturday night in Milwaukee at Walker's Point Music Hall. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday night. Sunday let's night. Let's go through the whole itinerary. Yeah, let's do it. Chicago, the Burlington with the Blind Stagger. Are you doing this all by memory right now, or are you reading off your thing? I this this is all I can remember. Just that, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little two week it thing. It's hard to memorize an entire tour. It's sometimes. it's two week thing. Uh, you know, we're we're doing some Halloween shows up in Eau Claire. Oh, and, cool! That'll um, be fun. That'll be fun, and then um, working our way back down. It's a really weird route this time. We're going. As far north, far north as Eau Claire, and then coming down uh, to Austin, Texas, and playing uh, with Randy at his residency, and then coming back up to play Larimer Lounge on the seventh for our for our uh, record release show. So cool! It's yeah, it's you know, it's a, it's a tour, man. It's it's a tour. Are you? What shows are you most excited for? Every single one. So make sure Correct you answer. come out to the shows because all of them are going to be once in a lifetime experiences. I get to it see a bunch n- of fun friends. Yeah, that's the best part. Is yeah, that like, is the best part. You know, it would be great at every, if every show was a sellout, but oh, that's not going to happen to my band, <laughs> dude. It, like, but I mean, as long as you've got good friends in every town, it makes it all worthwhile. You know what? The last time we went up to the Pacific Northwest. On paper, on paper, it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, we, we talked about that when you got, when yeah, you got back from that tour. On yeah. paper, it didn't go well. But experientially, 
you know, it, and I and I wish I'd been and able. It's hard to, you can't even quantify that. You know what? And so. I wish I wish I'd been able to distance myself a little bit more from the disappointments because I feel like I might have missed uh, out on yeah, some things as a result. Sure. But it, on a positive light, we did the whole thing with the blind staggers, so I got to go on a vacation with my friends mm -hmm. for a week. You know, that was the first and only time my brother and I did a tour together. You know, and I know that that meant a lot to him. I've heard from multiple friends of his who are like, you know, that, that tour really meant a lot to your brother cool, and he had cool. a good time and oh, he wouldn't stop great. talking about it. Good. So I'm really glad we had that experience yeah. together. And then as far as the shows go, attendance really wasn't great at any of them. Like maybe the one that we did, um, that the, the, the main one that it sent, uh, centered around, the Ruckus Records one we did with Big John Bates. Um, at Slim's in Seattle, that one was pretty decent. You know, I mean, it, it was it was a fun show. It wasn't like like sold out or anything, but it was a pretty good crowd. And and but and we we got Airbnbs pretty much every night, and we all stayed in the house together. And it was it was well, a being real, well rested is a huge part of it's being such able a huge to actually part, yeah. go out and do that night Make after night, yeah. dude. And if everybody kicks in and gets the Airbnb, that's the fucking way to go, dude. Or everybody kicks in and gets a hotel, like. A good night's sleep is like, I wish I could go back and just teach that to myself yeah. again. We'd be like, dude, you need to make a good night's sleep a priority. Yeah. Because everybody's going to perform better. Everyone's going to get along better. Everyone's going to feel better. Yep. The shows are going to go better. You know, if you're staying up all night drinking to pass out <laughs> and then sleeping on someone's floor and getting suffocated by their cat or, or staying up all night partying and then getting in the van, like you're... You're, you're fucking yourself up for the whole rest of the trip and you're fucking yourself up for the whole reason you were out in the right, first place, right. you know? Mm -hmm. But we were getting Airbnbs together and both bands all kicked in on it and we're like going to the grocery store and getting stuff and yeah, cooking meals cool. together. It's like, so on paper, it was it was a failure. Sure. It was an abject failure. Sure, yeah. You know, but- You're investing in yourselves. Well, right. And investing in creating, creating valuable, you know, in uh, innumerably valuable- um, uh, what would you say? Priceless, creating priceless experiences that will, yeah. you know, would, may not ever happen again. Absolutely. And, you know, with one person that was on that tour in particular, it will never happen again. Right. And so um, I, I, my only regret is that I wasn't able to be more present with mm -hmm. the things that I was grateful for. And I was kind of like, I was kind of bemoaning some of the things I was annoyed about at the time. It's, hard, it's a hard uh, line to toe when yeah. you're a band dad. Well, it's yeah, like we've it's talked rough. about we talked about a bunch of times, Gordo, is the band dad is the person in the band who suffers the most. You know? Yeah, because that's what you're always thinking. You're thinking about the bottom line. You're thinking about... Well, like, and how it, much work you put in to make it happen. Yeah, it's exactly. Not like, it's yeah, not like just like... Book, and all that. Right, and it's, yeah. not, it's not something is... Like if you book a vacation... Like my, you know, my wife and I, we sat down and we planned this vacation and, and we went on a little tour around the Southwest and it all went according to plan because our only intention was to go on a tour of places and sit and relax. Yeah. But when you put so much energy into the booking and promotion and everything that goes into trying to make it a success and you do everything you can think of to make it work and it still just doesn't do what you want it to do, yeah. you know, that hurts. Yeah. You know, that's 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 a long way to fall. Right. Dude, we're literally we, we, we have a backdrop for our record that we may not actually get by the time we go out on the road. <laughs> so, you know, I that, you know, the things like that. Yeah. Did you talk to the Midnight Visuals guys? I actually no. I we got that taken care of. Oh, you did. But 
the the problem is that we don't have a we, we may not have a record to go along with our backdrop. Oh my fucking god! Really? <laughs> yeah. Why? We, What's we, happening? We're gonna have the we're gonna have the CDs for sure. I'm not sure if we're gonna have. The oh, records. you'll have the CDs though. Yeah, we'll at no. least have we'll at least have those. But that nobody's buying CDs. That kind of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like everybody always says, like wait until you have the merch in hand to book your tour, and it's like it's like no, because you're sitting is, on the merch for six months <laughs> that, before that, you hit the road. Yeah, it's impossible to <laughs> and do then that. Yesterday it's impossible. Is, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, it well, is. It's so impossible. Like, well, dude, it's like it, the, the the release cycle on anything, like yeah. the motion comic we're getting ready to drop. Mm-hmm. Like that thing was written, illustrated, and voiced two years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then the one that we're working on now, God, I mean, who knows when that's going to come out? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's it's hard. The, there's songs that we're releasing now that we have literally been working on for four years. Yeah, because it just takes. Takes forever. So yeah. fucking long. I remember. I think the fourth tour I did, the band had just released a seven inch that had nineteen songs on it. They were a power violence band, and it was great. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. It was, it was nineteen it? songs in nine and a half minutes, <laughs> and it was fantastic. Yeah. Was it Spaz? Track two. <laughs> no, but they liked Spaz a lot. Um, but they, I mean, you know, it was a seven inch, so it took months to produce and everything. I think they recorded this thing in like June, and the tour wasn't until the following June. The record didn't come out until February. By then, it had been a year since they recorded it, and they were only playing one of those nineteen songs still oh, anymore yeah. because they'd moved on. And it was funny because oh, there sure, were there were yeah. kids there were kids coming out to the shows like, "Oh, you gonna play that?" And they're like, "Oh God, I don't know if I remember." We that don't song. even know it. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, well, I get it. Like, I want to hear those songs again too. But like, I totally get where you're coming from. Like, you've literally been playing those songs for a year and a half already. Like, well, we moved, moved on, on creatively. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the but st- the record didn't yeah. catch up because it takes so long to produce that stuff. It takes so yeah. fucking long. We've already decided that we're gonna we're gonna put out an EP without ever playing the songs live next time yeah that's just how we're going to do it we're not we're not going to play a lick of it live we're just going to record it all first yeah that way you're not tired of it by the time the ep comes out. yeah and do it backwards because yeah we've been playing these songs for a long time sure which is why (laughs) you should do everything that you can to support a band financially yep buy merch go to shows and back them via small monthly contribution on patreon.com slash MF ruckus <laughs> or patreon.com slash seventh circle music. Cl- you don't know. That what might it be is. our URL. I don't know. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> look, look, up, I came into this unprepared. Look up seventh so, circle so, music collective on Patreon and yeah. back them, man. Cause there's like, a link to it on the website and the website is seventh circle music collective. That's where I found you guys. And, uh, it's a dot org website. And, but I mean, we're everywhere. If you Google us, if you Google seven circle Denver DIY or some variation of that, it'll come it'll up. show up you'll find and the it. patreon link is on the website it's pretty easy to find. yeah I, I and and we mentioned this and this will this will be on the the audio uh version of the podcast but we didn't start the live stream yet so i mean it, it, it oh, bears, right when we were talking earlier we were yeah. talking earlier about it so it, i mean it bears repeating it's like it's like when i see that someone i like is on patreon i immediately back up sure yeah you know like i because you believe in their craft right and, and i want to support and it. i was Absolutely. doing i was doing research for the episode and I went to your website and saw that you guys had a Patreon. And even though I only came in for a dollar a month, right? You know, to me that's like I'm gonna throw my fucking coins in the jar. Sure. You know, yep. I'm going to consistently contribute because I believe in what you guys are doing. And that's the way I look at all the people I back on Patreon. Yeah. You know, I'm not making it or breaking it for anybody that I sure. back, but if enough people get together and yeah, they, I mean, if we get 500 people to give us a dollar a month, that's amazing. You know, that's almost a third. What is that? A third of the, 
rent. Yeah, almost. like what we were, what we were talking about is basically if if you guys just off your Patreon were able to get two grand a month, yeah, that would cover all your operating expenses. Yep, all the and imagine stuff. what you could what you could do with yeah that. with everything else with all the door money and all. Yeah, exactly. Now that brings up another thing that I wanted to talk about, which is. Uh, so you you tour with bands, and I assume that you don't charge like a fee to TM for people, right? And not, I mean, like you just go with bands that you like, and you want to go have the experience. It's, and it's have my fun. version of supporting their Patreon, right? 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 Yeah. You just you just want to go participate in yep. it, and Seventh Circle sustains itself mm-hmm. off of shows, yep. and record sales, and donations, and and Patreon, right? Yeah. So. How do you fucking live, man? <laughs> How do you get by? What do you do? Like, what 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 are you doing besides Seventh Circle? So, uh, I first off, which I, is a full time gig, feels like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I will openly state first off that I'm very, very lucky enough to the point that I'm still living with my parents, and they are totally cool with that. And I'm not having That's to awesome. pay rent at home, and I am absolutely utilizing that luck to run Seventh Circle in the way that I do. Right. And uh, so that's a huge part of it. And um, I also do freelance audio and video work. And I have a regular part-time job at this super cool alternative LGBT inclusive church in Lakewood that I do sound and video oh, for. Oh, cool. There. Yeah, it's super rad. And it's like, it's non-denominational. It's like not any specific religion at all. Cause like, I'm not religious at all. I didn't come from a religious background or upbringing or anything. But, 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 but spiritual place, community it, is exactly, really awesome. Exactly, it's, yeah. it's totally based in non-denominational spirituality and whatever sort of self-worship or whatever deity you choose, like there isn't even a cross or a Bible like anywhere in that. the building. And it's so cool and it doesn't feel it's oppressive like, a, like every other church I've ever right. been in. Like a non-Unitarian Unitarian. Right, thing. yeah, yeah. That's uh-huh. <laughs> That's exactly what I've heard it compared to. That's as, awesome. Yeah. And uh, so I started working there about a year and a half ago or more. Um, just as an audio video guy. And it's great. Like it's, it's a super cool environment. It's so funny. The main sound guy there is this total metal head who's in his forties now, but he went to to like all these metal shows when he was younger and he still does. He still goes. And I walk in for my interview. He's the main salaried audio guy there. And I walk in for my interview and he's like, wait, I know you. And I was like, Oh, and he goes, yeah, don't you work at like the Gothic or the summit or something? And I'm like, I mean, I'm there a lot shooting video. What kind of shows are you going to? And he's like metal mostly. Right. And I was like, oh, we're going to be friends. This is going to be yeah, great. Yeah. And I was just like a shoe in for the position. And it was so much fun to just like realize that there is this community out there that is just like the most non-churchy church that I've ever yeah, experienced. Yeah. Well, I, I see the and, value of, I see the value of the church and, and the, the, the cleric. Sure. In the community. Yeah. You know, I see the value of it. It's just and, become such a homogenized, organized thing that had, it just went so astray in so well, many ways. Well, and, and so, much. so much of it has been has been tainted and poisoned by right. by ulterior motives and money mm-hmm. and greed and Fred and Phelps. the rage economy, like we <laughs> talked about. Did <laughs> yeah. you watch that wisecrack video I sent you? Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's just this interesting idea of like like how the rage economy has changed and how at one point the church was the place that you kind of went to to like like put all your put all your negative feelings and, and, and things like that. And the church would store it up nice and safe for <laughs> you. There's just generally not enough, uh, touting of secular moralism out there. You know, right. you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah, just yeah. not something that people generally talk about a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, and, and I think, I think it is, I think it's incredibly value to have the space to go talk about abstract 
existential concepts. Yeah. You know, I think it helps to cull some of the dread that human beings feel because there is an inherent anxiousness and an inherent fear to being alive and being a, a sentient organism. You know, with emergence comes this like this despair. You know, when, with self-awareness comes this like this this despair that I feel like can be ameliorated by having a place to go have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think that just having the space for it is huge. And I and it can be daunting to just sit down with someone on the bus <laughs> and talk deep philosophy. Right. You know, and I think that in that capacity, I think that churches and and religious centers serve serve an amazing purpose mm -hmm. it's the indoctrination and the um fear and hate mongering that i'm not a big fan of right. or or you know uh, moral relativism you know that that emerges as a result of uh, of certain ideologies that that are that are present in some of the the, the more organized churches yeah but i definitely see see the utility in it mm -hmm. in fact i consider myself to be or i strive to be i should say i strive to be not that i consider myself to be i strive to be a community celebrant yeah you know someone who's you know i was i was trying to develop a practice as a coach for a minute but then i started to think of it more of like i just have that toolbox to be able to talk with people if they need someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. You're a community accelerant. And a community Ooh, accelerant. Yeah, that's a good one. I like I want I, like I want that. to I, w I want to move towards the designation of like like being the person that someone in the secular rock and roll world can talk to about their existential quandaries in there sure, and, yeah. and deeper philosophical ideas mm -hmm. and things like that. That's one thing I love doing with this podcast is you get to sit down and, you know, in three hours, you know, I'm not doing an interview like, you know, so I'm sitting here with Eric to say here from Seven Circle Music Collective, you know, it's not like yeah. in 15 minutes you need to give me your elevator exactly. pitch and tell a story. Yeah. Like we can sit down here and we can have a conversation yeah. and we can go down some rabbit holes and we can take some turns mm -hmm. and, and the conversation will yield things once we're getting past the sound bites and 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 the rehearsed mission statements and things right, like that. Right, you know? right, right. And I I compare that a lot to the role that the preacher or the pastor or the reverend mm -hmm. or 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 whoever it is has in a certain community. Sure. Yeah. You know, they're they're almost the the therapist to the community mm -hmm. rather than being like a, a like a clinical psychologist or something like right. that you know so yeah oh, i definitely feel that way at seven circle too oh yeah because i mean, I mean based that, upon what you've told me mm -hmm. i mean it was funny there was one that's night, why i said it's like a secular youth yeah, group yeah yeah you know? yeah exactly like there was <laughs> just to bring it back all around to seven circle now it was just so funny there was one night where a full seven oh, circle hey well oh. would you look at that um. Yeah. There was there was one night where there there's this this kid that has been coming around for like a year and a half at this point, and like we become really good friends. He's become a really regular volunteer, and you know I've just like sat with him after shows and like listened to him talk about his life shit for hours on end. You know, over the course of this last year and a half, and uh, at one point we were just kind of there either before a show or during a show or after a show or something, and we were just kind of sitting up front talking. And another one of our good friends walks in. And he's just like talking about how like something is going on in his life. And the other kid goes, 
well, hey, have you ever had like an Aaron say therapy session? Because they're really nice. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, like I never realized that's anybody really had cool. like quantified it in that much oh, of, that's a, really of, a, cool, man. of a little box. But it was really neat that he was just like, yeah, fucking talk to Aaron about this at some point. Like Dude, I can leave the room. So you know? little. People and need so little, man. Exactly. I mean, all it takes, honestly, like there's, there's one friend of mine that I've had so many in-depth conversations with and most of what that conversation is, is me just sitting there and listening. And I've in with this one person in particular is like my closest friend right now. And I just sat there one night for like four hours and he just listened and he worked out everything that he was going through just by being able to vocalize it and yeah. bounce it off somebody that was only just sitting there and nodding and smiling and saying yes. Well, you can have something eating you alive. Yeah. And if you just talk to someone who listens to you and mirrors it back to you mm -hmm. without judgment right. and lets you know that you're okay and doesn't run, recoil in horror or scream in right. your face or run out of the room. And I, you can see people, you can see it written on their faces mm -hmm. where they are just begging for someone to ask them how they're doing. Yeah. You know, just, they're just like, they just want to scream and they just want, they want somebody to check in on them. Yeah. A good listener is a good friend. Yeah. Yep. You know, 100%. without our, without our homies, we're just crying from the cradle to the grave. Right. Yeah. But, but, and then trying to conceal that crying, you know what I mean? Trying to conceal that from people. Right. And because I, you're supposed to be tough and you're supposed to be a man and you're supposed to like, that's right. such a fucking toxic way to think. Oh yeah. It's, well, and, and another, another thing that I love about doing this is it has helped me to destigmatize, like have, have this conversation where I'm destigmatizing my own unease and my own anxiety and my own grief and my own depression and my own feelings of inferiority and put it out there and have a conversation with someone and put it out into the world and yeah. get it out into the sunlight. And most of the response that I've gotten, in fact, if we take a break, I want to go grab this. Uh, this we got, we got a letter that I sent to you. Yeah, yeah, that was Actually, awesome. do you have the letter on your phone? Uh, I can. Yeah. Hang I want to show you this. This is okay. super rewarding. Yeah, sure. Um, but I like, I like having the opportunity to like have those conversations with real people. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know about you, but part of where, how my anxiety manifests is I start to get paranoid mm -hmm. and I start to think that people dislike me in some way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'll start to get ideas in my head, like a narrative in my head. I'm, I, I, sure. I don't know if you encounter that at all. Yeah. But what happens is when I bring people into this room and I sit and have a conversation with them, I start to realize more and more how people are just off living their own lives. Yeah. And it really has nothing to do with me. Yep. So sitting down with a different person every week yeah. and seeing how their life has been going, seeing what they're up to, seeing the type of person they are, like getting this opportunity to catch up with them is it's like, it's like, no, it's not just a big, you know, cyber sphere of invisible enemies and conspirators. Right. You know, it's a bunch of people with lives and their avatars are broadcast on these platforms mm -hmm. for everyone to see. And it like pulls people out of that realm and sits them down and, and goes like, you know, it, let's let's have a face-to-face -face interaction as right. human beings. Right. And I think that that's so important. And it has been tremendously beneficial for my mental health. Yeah. And tremendously beneficial for my relationships with the people who have come into the room. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it has. You know? And I mean, that's, and that's, that's the incredible thing about it too, is that I feel like with 
everything being so digital these days, and so there's so much social media and text-based communication, there's so much less face-to-face conversation like this happening as far as like relative to how much conversation is happening one way or the other. You know, I mean, it's been... I mean, we've never done this, but you and I have known each other for over a decade. Right. And this is any conversation that we've had has been very, very surface and quick. Yeah. Surface and quick Mm -hmm. the the entire time. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it's always just been like, oh, yeah, you're in a band. I've seen your band a bunch of times. You're cool. Hey, it's good to see you. Now we recognize each other and we know each other by name. Right. Now we're Facebook friends so we can acknowledge each other out in public. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And, And it's just, and I feel like so much of that dynamic shift that's happened in the last 10 to 15 years with the advent of social media becoming the way that people are so much more overwhelmingly communicating instead of face-to-face has changed so much about how we process that type of anxiety and that type of paranoia. And I mean, like over, over the course of time, for sure, like even recently, you know, I, I, I continue to have to like check myself with things like that because I'll be like, Oh, I haven't heard from that person in a while. I texted them and they never texted me back. I wonder if I did something wrong. I wonder right. if, I don't li- if they don't like me anymore, if they don't want to hang out anymore, like right. what the fuck ever it might be. And then I just have to step back and check myself and go, no, they're off doing whatever they're doing. Why didn't this person reply to my email? Yeah, exactly. It's like they're probably busy enough that they saw it and they thought, okay, I want to take the time to reply to that when I have the time to have an actual conversation right. because I care about this person. That time is not right now because I'm busy living and surviving and doing whatever I'm doing. Or I forgot. Or that or... because it's so, I mean, we're so bombarded with notifications mm-hmm. in the digital realm every day, or all day. Even if, even if there is an emotional, personal component to it, mm-hmm. I've almost invariably found that on the rare occasion that that happens yeah. is it's like, I just didn't know what to say. Sure. So you didn't say anything. I didn't know how to deal with it or I was scared Yeah. or I, you know, it was very uncomfortable and I'm sorry I'm human. Right. You know, if we had been in the same room together, it would have been been a different story. Absolutely. And I think that that's where a lot of problems are stemming from these days too is with communication of the younger generation. There's so much people firing volleys from a distance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's so much like keyboard warriorship going on where people are just spouting their opinions out into the ether on Facebook and then people are commenting back and they're having an argument. But it's like if you two are in the same room having the exact same conversation with the exact same words, the tone would be completely different, would be different. And the outcome would be different because you are interacting with each other. You're seeing that you're both human and you can calm down and understand that it's okay to have different viewpoints from each other and still be friends. And almost no one that you meet on the internet is the same in real life. No, nope, never. Almost every time I have met someone online first, they have been a well, completely you, different human being when I met them in person. Because you concoct this idea in your head of right. what they are based on based their on the text, imagined tone of on, their text. Mm-hmm, exactly. And even before social media communication became such a big thing, but when text was was yeah. pretty prolific, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, or well, pervasive rather, is if you got in a fight with someone <laughs> via text, yeah. I have sent. And been sent the most angry things that, like, we send things into space. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We take our anger and we shoot it into space. Yeah. And we don't have to be responsible for the human being that's on the other side. Right. You know, I had... But I had when a, you're in a room with a person, you absolutely have to be responsible for yeah. that. And so that makes the communication more thorough. I would get... I had a friend who would get drunk and he would get angry and he would send his anger out 
and and then you know he kind of looked at it as like oh I was blowing off steam or you know we just had a little thing but there was one time after a thing like that where I went to where he was <laughs> and went to him and I went this is the human being on the other end of this communication I was like you are hurting me with what you're saying you know what you were saying is unfair yeah and if you want to have a conversation we need to have a conversation about it right here and the tone of the conversation completely changes when you do that yep because you're looking at a human being sitting in front of you yeah and we have mirror neurons yeah which are designed to help us empathize with people right and unless you're a complete psychopath which there are psychopaths out there you know Maybe one day we'll come up with a pill that cures psychopathy. Wouldn't that be nice? They're super rare. <laughs> yeah. They're like 0.0001% of the population. Right, super right, rare. Right. But there are psychopaths out there. But for the most part, people have the capacity to be able to see what is written on someone's face yeah. and measure their communication based on that. Right. You know? Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to share this because this was like this was super rewarding and go ahead and leave the name off because um, she might she might be uncomfortable using the name but uh, after we did the episode with Ben um, a woman who I know as a regular from where I work came in uh, didn't expect me to be working but came in with a letter that she had typed yeah. for me and gave it to me there and it just so happened that that specific day Ben was in there eating lunch so like she gave me the letter and I went, the dude that was on that episode is right there at that table, you know? Wow. So I like ran out to the patio and like interrupted Ben and I was like, dude, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you got to look at this, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's a letter about the episode. So will you read, will you read the letter, Gordo? Absolutely. Thank you. So Aaron, I just wanted to write you a note and tell you how much I'm enjoying your podcast. It has been awesome to sit and listen to three smart, thoughtful people talk about so many things that I can relate to so hard. A typed letter may be sort of weird, but it sounds like we have both mostly dumped social media. So I've a very and, and I have very bad penmanship. <laughs> I, I, I almost, put that, I almost put that in every typed letter I read. Oh, it's that's like, hilarious. sorry, my handwriting sucks. So I gave you a typed letter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I just listened to number 71. It's easy to feel like I'm the only person who goes through my specific set of shit, but I'm really not. I could relate to so many things. From general shit like going to college without a plan and ending up in a career that isn't what you expected, or how self-reinvention is hard when you are older, or the odd waves of feeling when a close family member dies, or social media can be poison, etc. But then there were the things that were so very specific to the mid-level band experience. Holy shit! The Alaska thoughts. Yeah, that part Alaska. was so helpful for me, particularly today. After last winter when I lost a band and a baby pretty far along in a pregnancy, I had to ditch social media. My feed is all people with babies and gigs, and it was making me sad and jealous. I always beat myself up for feeling at all jealous or insecure when I see similar bands or musicians doing stuff. So it is nice to hear that it is pretty normal to feel insecure and jealous when you see somebody else's curated online stuff. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that's <laughs> all that's the, the folly time. Of it, you know, I mean you all you you're, the time. you're always comparing yourself to other right. to your peers. Yeah, you know right. you can't help it. It's nature. It's human nature. But it's so like comparing it's ourselves so, to others is how we get the motivation to 
to re-enter or move further up the hierarchy. Sure, absolutely. It's just, it's just part of our primitive right. nature. But it's so liberating when you can realize, you know what? It's okay that that person is having success and I'm not right. having the exact same kind of success right now. Like, I, not to interrupt the letter, but I want to expound oh, on yeah, that. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You can you can expand. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I, I mean, I kind of go through that, you know, because, like, I'm 34, and I'm seeing almost everybody on social media that I went to high school with is, like, married with a career and a kid, and I'm like, I'm still hanging out in the same punk rock garage that I've been hanging out in for, you know, what, right. since 2006. And from, like, their point of view that kind of looks like it could be a failure, you know, like, what am I doing? I'm still living like I'm 18, but I'm 34. But then, you know, I continue to like think like, no, I'm a complete success at what I chose to do right. because of what I'm accomplishing and this impact that we're having on people and right. all this stuff. And I think and it's, it's important. Just, it's all to, about perspective, you know, I think You're it's important something to, that you believe in. Right. That's, exactly. that's the thing that matters. Yeah, exactly. and, it's, and it's hard to keep that in perspective. Sure. Sometimes. Right. And it's important to destigmatize yeah. the common, the, the, the commonplace nature mm -hmm. of those feelings of of not enough right you know what i mean and and also destigmatize our own neurosis and insanity <laughs> yeah. just as people it's like our brains are just these giant glands that just produce electrical impulses of thought mm -hmm. like we don't have to become identified with them like even the things that like like we talked about, you know, if you bring someone into seventh circle and their belief systems may be off base in some way, you know, you're not going to ostracize them and shout them out of the room and put them in exile. You're going to try and help them right? because they're really just running the software that's in their brain. Yeah. All you got to do is reprogram it a little right. bit. And I think it's so important or allow to, them the access to reprogram it themselves. Right. Give them, yeah. give them a software update. Right. And I think. I think it's really important to destigmatize our frailty and our ignorance yeah. and our incompetence. You know, it's like it's like okay, I'm ignorant and incompetent. All right, so are the rest of us. Yeah. Let's go out there and try and figure out some things and become better people together. Yeah. And the more people we can help become better people, the better off we're all going to be in the long run. Right. Yeah, vulnerability is a very common trait amongst the human mm -hmm. race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And can, so is covering it up, which is too bad because that's how people end up depressed and suicidal and yeah. all that. Yeah, we're, if we hadn't developed those those brains that we have, we'd be the most vulnerable species <laughs> on the planet, man. Like if we if we weren't able to just dominate the planet with like <laughs> tyranny of will and like cognition we'd be just like we'd be gone yeah. we'd be we would have gone extinct a long time ago so and continue continue with the letter okay uh also the part about not being able to let on if one person isn't coming to practice crack me up <laughs> had i known that my band may still be together but then again there were certain members who weren't as open to the notion that maybe the reason we weren't where we needed to be was that we weren't we just weren't that good and needed to fix some shit but Which I'm pretty, is something else we talked about in the episode. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that we played the bluegrass version of the exact same opening slot at the Bluebird. <laughs> Technical problems, 50 or so people wanting to quit after hearing the headliner. Same. Right. Uh, next time I see you and it's slow at the bar, I'll tell you about a personal experience with a woke-as-fuck wook online. Based on my experience, <laughs> I am not surprised these grimy fucks put a hard stop to at wooks doing things. Not to overgeneralize or fail to be sufficiently intersectional, but I feel this lady needed a little bit more self-awareness and a touch less outrage. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know that it was really good, and I will for sure listen again. It was also cool to hear about a subgenre of music I know basically nothing about. I will listen again. 
Yeah, this this cool. one this woman is really cool. She's uh she's a bluegrass musician who who is is a regular over at um over at the restaurant. Yeah. And uh really, really very cool person and and a lawyer and a parent and just someone that I really enjoy talking with a lot. And after I read that part of the letter about the 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 woke wook thing, <laughs> she introduced me to uh Big Game Trophy Wook Hunter Society. Oh God, Do you know what that is? Oh, holy shit. No <laughs> Dude. I, I had no idea such a thing Appar- existed. Apparently it's gotten kind of shitty, but in, in its infancy, the whole, the whole thing was it was just a page where you posted pictures of like a Wook that you saw out in the wild. And the thing was like, people were basically, you know, would get points for what they called tagging and bagging the Wook, which is where they would... Like, which they described as, like, like basically whoever wrote the best description of their encounter with this Wook, and they were, people were to write it like a David Attenborough oh my God. nature shit. thing. And the funny thing, this is my favorite part. One of the bar managers from Fire on the Mountain, this dude Jeter that I work with, who is a sweetheart and one of my favorite people, but he's like, you know, he's a big dude with a beard and giant dreads and loves widespread panic and, and fish and shit, you know what I mean? And he's <laughs> he's an w- awesome guy. Kind of wookie. He has, <laughs> he has been on Big Game Wook Hunters three separate times. Oh my God. <laughs> and he's like, God damn it. I'm on there keep, again. He's like, why do I keep ending up on this shit? <laughs> anyway, um... To, to the person that wrote that letter, uh, if you happen to be listening to this episode, you made my fucking day with that, especially- you made our day. Yeah, yeah. Made, especially because, and I've mentioned this to you before, Gordo, is like, there have been times when we've been doing this podcast and having certain conversations where we're touching on contentious issues that I'm worried the response is going to be a flood of angry emails. And the truth of the matter is, I don't have the constitution to handle that. I don't have the the constitution to handle um, angry vitriol online or angry emails or, or or things like that. I can handle Yelp reviews for another company, you know. But if if someone sends a a angry criticism about something that I've worked on, I take it very personally. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to ask a quick question here. Sidebar: right. the Yelp thing. Do you, do you manage the Yelp? comments uh for just one location or for both locations for both locations yes all right keep an eye out why just keep an eye out (laughs) (laughs) did you have a negative experience uh no i did not oh okay (laughs) (laughs) oh no this has gotten very cryptic to be continued dude actually real quick before we take a break i did have uh i had recently Two, two experiences. One, a group of um, a group of guys came in, like a group of six dudes came in, and they were drunk, and they're watching the NCLS on on the TVs because we have you know TVs up, and they're drunk, and they're just yelling, "Motherfuck this, motherfuck that, motherfuck this, motherfuck that." My coworker went up and was like, "Hey guys, family restaurant, why don't you tone it down a little bit?" Blah blah blah, in a very respectful and polite way. And they got uh, confrontational with him. And they're like, what the fuck? We're just watching the game. We're just cheering for the game. What's your problem? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, you're getting zero tip. And they stormed. And it ended with a handshake and what I thought was a friendly resolution. But the next day, 
first thing I wake up to is a one-star review that is like, I'm a loyal sports fan, and I was cheering for my team, and this asshole bartender told me to shut up. Well, this place is a bunch of lowlifes, and I'll never come back again. See, but you can- Shame on this place. He said shame on this place. <laughs> See, but you can- Never again. You can spot that shit a mile away. If you're reading a review, like, you can- Oh, well, this guy's- a fucking asshole. The type of you know? personality that it takes to write a review like that yeah. automatically disqualifies you as a reliable source in my book. Right. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to give a shout out to our sponsors, and we're going to talk about Aaron Say, the early days. Ooh, uh-oh. When, when you and I first became Yeah, pointed. yeah, yeah. So we'll be right back after this. Those of you who are watching the uh, live stream on YouTube, we're going to keep it rolling so that uh, it... it well, it's just everybody take a pee break at once, right? What did Wiggins say? Oh, Wiggins has got to go? Okay, so we're going to cut the live stream now, but we will uh, keep the recorded version going. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation or the beginning of the conversation, uh, subscribe or if you ever get podcasts. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and, of course, our website, mfruckus.com. Um, and also make sure you subscribe and uh, hit that notification bell here on our channel so you can find out next time we do a live stream. We're going to be doing a lot more of these coming up. But as always, you're going to get the entire conversation if you listen to the audio version of the podcast. So go check that out now. All of you have been on the live stream. Thank you so much for watching. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Sweet. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I stepped hey, out, back. I stepped out of the room and just uh, just realized that we've been going for three hours. I mean, we got three sucked and down. A half the, no, we no, got six, sucked yeah, down three hours. We three got half, sucked yeah. down a time warp, man. <laughs> and I really, I really feel like we've just scratched the surface. I know. So we should just do this again. Let's do episode two. I think you can we, do it. Yeah, do part two. I think we should part two, do it again because I really want to talk about your video archiving. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. Because you've been, dude, you've been shooting shows. <laughs> Like, you probably only have one fourth-year freshman show. I, I think it's at least three or four. But really? It's not, it's oh not many. Yeah, I mean, I came in at kind of the tail end of when you guys were active, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I mean, just... I know there's one for... Well, see, I don't know, because I know that I saw you guys... Uh, there was the one time that you played at the Bluebird with the Briggs. Oh, my God. And I don't remember if you headlined or if they did. I feel like you might have. Uh, closed out the night, but that was like right before I started shooting every show that I was at, and I was only like, dude, what's your archive at now? Uh, no idea. It's, it's you, out of control. You you have filmed more shows than I've even ever been to in my life. Probably. Dude, you've filmed more shows than <laughs> I was probably present for in all the years I worked at Three Kings, man. You've been you've been filming shows. So we're going to have to do another episode yeah, where we, we talk. we will. And what we, should, <laughs> what we should do is we should get some clips. Oh, yeah, sure. Like mm -hmm. get like make a cur cur curated clip thing and yes. we'll get them up on the monitor and we'll check sure, them out. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So real quick, want to get a shout out to our sponsors. First and foremost, our most venereal nave, venerable sponsor Matula Plumbing Matula shit rolls downhill don't be at the bottom your number two is our number one priority your shit is our bread and butter Angie's List Super Service Award winner back in 2011 the only year that mattered 1-1 one, one is the only one Jerry Matula he'll wear the booties for you Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios fully equipped 
hourly rehearsal rental studios there right in the heart of Rhino in Denver and uh, friendly, informative, helpful staff, well-maintained equipment, just a fantastic place. Plus, Kate is the baddest of all asses. So, uh, Rocket Space, you ain't got to carry shit. Flipside music, only rad shit. Take all the stuff in the big box stores, throw away 99% of it. That 1%, that distilled quality, curated selection, that's what you'll find at Flipside Music. Pedals, amps, guitars, luthiers, lessons. I think They do all sorts of shit. Go down to Stickers. Stickers? Go down to Flipside Music, see what they are up to. Evergroove Studio in Evergreen, Colorado. We're actually going to have Brad and Ethan on the show here soon to talk about- man, they're uh, so great. Dude, they're the guys. shit, man. And, and the studio is amazing. Solar-powered- Right in the uh, Black or Shadow Mountain region of Evergreen, Colorado. Go see Evergroove about your next project. Mutiny Information Cafe, 7 South Broadway, right in the heart of Denver. Just uh, a cultural mecca. Records, books, coffee, live events, podcasts, cereal. Nobody has a larger selection of Torini syrups. Nobody! The maesters of cool, man. The curators of cool. They got it all. They're the shit. Go down to Mutiny. Tell them the boys sent you. This is a Mutiny transmission. Jim Norris. Mutiny is fantastic. Yep. And Matt Megacy. Yes. Yep. Matt Megacy. I got it. Dude, the last names thing has become like a theme on this show of me like only having read people's last names and then bringing them on the show and having to admit after years of knowing them that I've never known how to pronounce their <laughs> last name. That has happened like four separate times oh, on I this show. It. I had to get Matt. Uh, Matt corrected me. Uh, Gianni DiGiacomo corrected me. DiGiacomo. DiGiacomo. Well, he's a, he, said, he said, most people say DiGiacomo. He doesn't talk that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the way Gianni talks. Uh, DiGiacomo Femaia. Uh, Kate had to correct <laughs> me. Uh, actually, when we have Ike from Flipside on here, he's almost definitely going to have to correct me. Uh, Io Covangelo, I think. Uh, Io Covangelist. <laughs> I'm an Io Covangelist. I um I only preach the word of Captain EO starring Michael Jackson. <laughs> I an evangelist. Uh let's see, who am I forgetting sponsor wise? Oh, the nugnation.com. That's where we are, motherfucker. I just uh interviewed Ritz, the rapper, for an episode of Potty Talk with Pong Burgundy, and it was super fun, dude. Like I end up becoming fans of these guys that I had never heard of before, you know, just because I have to listen yeah, to the music. Yeah, I have no idea dude. who that is. Dude, Ritz is the shit. He's uh he's on Tech Nine's label. He's um, oh no way yeah uh, yellow wolf uh, right discovered on. him Gordo I accidentally locked your phone <laughs> okay I'm Just gonna tell I'll, I'll tell everybody on my life. Yeah, I'll tell everybody my passcode now <laughs> all right what is it <laughs> just in case yeah. anybody ever steals your in phone in case anybody steals somehow. your phone <laughs> um, yeah thenugnation.com yes. check it out to see all the nugs and their wacky adventures and. Uh, and see everything that we're working on. Got some big stuff coming up this year. Uh, and, of course, the patrons, the people who back us via a small recurrent contribution on patreon.com slash mfruckus. Even if you don't back us, just go to Patreon and check out what people are up to. There's a lot of great art spaces and podcasts and and web comics and all kinds of stuff where people are creating content. So go on there and check it out. So now... Um, so yeah, like I said, we lost track of time. We went for like three and a half hours. I'm interested to see what the comments in the in the YouTube 
uh, feed are like. But man, dude. Yeah, I just checked it. It looked like we had like 54 people watching live. Oh, that's really cool. That's rad. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, we, uh, dude, I, I mean, I just really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, and, it was and, amazing. And we yeah. went to some great places. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Of I really want to, I really want to get you involved on some stuff over here. Yeah, and, I'd love to. It'd be and, fun. And see if we can work out some live stream stuff from maybe Seventh Circle. Like, yeah. We'll, we'll kick some ideas around. But sure. I, you know, I, I've respected what you've done for a very long time and I admire you and I love the hell out of you. And I wish we saw each other more because you're, you're a bright, shining light in thank you. in this world man thank i love you, so you lots well let's hey yeah likewise man back at you let's, all right gordo do this more often Absolutely. i did it again i did it again <laughs> oh for christ's sake <laughs> just give me the number and cut it out and post yeah that's true we're not just live anymore <laughs> <laughs> all right so we are going to finish the episode we're not five six nine seven two three we're gonna finish the episode okay you may have just heard gordo say watch out for review <laughs> and it turns out i did respond to this review and I thought it was some weird, goofy fucking mountain wook that was writing some just crazy nonsense on here. Like, I thought it was somebody That's that your, just your, came your in. partially ho- true. Dude, I thought it was someone who came in, hopped up after a fucking, uh, like, a Dead & Co. show and just decided to write this. That's exactly the vibe I was going Aren't for. Aren't you the person, too, is the only one who's given us a one-star review on the podcast? Is that you? <laughs> no. Like... <laughs> We have no. I would not. I would not do that. We have one one star review on the podcast. Oh my god! And that's I hilarious. just I want to know who it was that was just. And <laughs> I think it was probably a friend. Probably it was probably a friend that was like, "Nah, you got to have some blemishes on your oh permanent my god, record." That's so funny. I remember one uh, right after Seven Circle opened, there was somebody who was from the Blastomat side and era of things, and they accidentally clicked the one star review on the new Facebook page <laughs> that we made for Seven Circle, and they couldn't undo it. And he, he messaged me in like all caps and was like, fuck, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I clicked the one star and I can't get it to go away, but I don't think that you guys suck. I really am glad that you took it over and that you're going to keep it going and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> fuck this so place. Funny. Oh, wait, no. Dude, it was so funny. Okay, so <laughs> this is a review. So I handle, I handle the, you know, not to give away a company secret, but I answer the Yelp and Google reviews for the place that I work. And so... I got this review and I remember getting it and Gordo just informed me that he is the one who wrote it and it's fucking <laughs> hilarious. So this is Gordo's four-star review on Fire on the Mountain. But, okay. you, but you have to do it in your best like old man codger okay. mountain dude okay. voice. <laughs> Uncle Didger Dude used to say that there's fire up in them hills. Well, I'd have to say he was right. I'd even venture to say that these are darn near the best wings I've had in the tri-state region as far back as I can remember. And that's a good long stretch of dirt road. (laughs) Anyhow, my meal was delivered with the verb and zest you'd expect from a top-shelf operation. Clean as a whistle, too. That's what they call class. My only complaint is the music. They've got a real new wave, old-timey, electric Kool-Aid acid tent bowl kind of vibe going on. To each their own, I suppose. Well, catch y'all the old flippity-flop. I'm going back to the cabin for a spell. But the next time I come round the mountain and catch a whiff of smoke, it'll surely lead me back to that fire. Dude. That's great. I really... That's perfect. You read that perfectly. I think... I yeah, think that's that a character that, voice for sure. I think that review might have led to a line on a manager meeting. about music because we've been having a discussion lately about the approved playlists for fire on the mountain 
And like, be, be, now that's not the only one, but there there have been complaints in the past where like people come in and they're like, I thought this was like a, a dead and fish bar. And, you know, somebody was just like listening to Morrissey radio on Pandora the other day or just like oh, listen to some bummer ass me. So like there has been discussion that has come up about the approved playlist. Like I do like Thin Lizzy radio. I did like a little King Tough radio yesterday. Like you can, you can get away with stuff sometimes depending I've even eked through one Metallica song. I did that one time, and then the owner came in and like immediately changed it. <laughs> I also, but then that led me to like deliberately do stuff to troll him. Like I, uh, he was in there having a meeting with someone, and the very first song I played when the PA came on is I cranked it up and played "Slow Hand" by Conway Twitty. <laughs> <laughs> and he just comes around and he goes, too loud, not approved playlist, turn it off. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, anyway, so I think I think that maybe yours did not spur a line on on a manager meeting uh, itinerary, but it definitely galvanized the urgency for the conversation. So I want you to know Good. that I want you to know that you're playing with people's careers here. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good. That's fantastic. Dude, now that I know that's you, I want to like go back and rewrite the response and match it in hilarity. Because at the time I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Who is that dude? And he's got, oh, and I was like, oh, and he's got an elite reviewer fucking badge too. What a fucking asshole. This guy. Anyway, uh, so Aaron's got to go deal with more stuff over at, at Seventh Circle. You got a furnace thing you got to go I mean, deal yeah, with. Yeah, luckily it's just a furnace that went out and the guy's going to come fix it. So at least it's not like Dude, dra I, drama. I can't believe we went. mechanical failure. I can't believe we went that long without <laughs> even realizing it. I mean, I did eat a gummy before we went on. I <laughs> hope it wasn't that apparent. Oh, no. I couldn't Oh, tell. no. I just, I get very chatty when those things get That's in good because you matched my chattiness. Yeah. Because I just talk and talk and talk. Like I've done interviews and stuff for, for Seven Circle, like for magazines and things and like right. people's like research papers for school and things like that. And I'm always just like, cool. So how are we going to do this? Are you going to record it and transcribe from the recording later? And they're like, no, I was just going to take notes while you talk. And I'm like, you don't want to do that. I talk a lot. Right. You're going to want to record this. Right. And then right. get to reference the recording later. Right. Well, so and you I, matched my level. So it's dude, good. I have the same, I have the same problem and that's the problem with doing print interviews mm -hmm. is they're just going to cherry pick out of it and I talk a lot too right so you know I've done I've sat down and done interviews with people where I'm just painting a picture of you know this <laughs> waxing rhapsodic oh dude <laughs> Just like like just spitting a book and then I get the review back and it is the most like paltry like skeleton of what dude we we've all been there right? it, where, where your words are just wow that's that's definitely what i said but that's not the context dude, when it when it whatever. comes to like, print when it comes to print i think i'm going to specifically avoid spoken transcription oh yeah the email is i learned that a long time email. ago too, yeah. Send the because responses. then you can type exactly what you want right. printed yeah it's very hard for them to take, take exactly what, what i want printed and put it in there i or or ha -ha. a podcast haha -ha, period lol period <laughs> right <laughs> hashtag yeah omg <laughs> well hey thanks to everybody for listening for listening to the motherfucking podcast gordo thank you for being here week after week i really do appreciate it man where else would i go i love having you be a <laughs> <laughs> i love having you be a part of the show shout out to wiggins and yolo rum yolo you only get liquored up once or twice oh god 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what their catchphrase is. You, you only lick once. <laughs> but I do think I do think it's you fun. only YOLO once. I, you only YOLO once. I do think it's fun to have the the deal worked out with YOLO because it's like like that bottle leaking. No, it's it's it is condensation. <laughs> it was in the freezer. Oh, I see. I think it's fun. And also, even though they don't sponsor the show, 1906 New Highs, thanks for this bag of edibles that we got sitting here. <laughs> and thanks to my man, Farmer Joey Klontz, for bringing by a trash bag full of edibles that now I'm going to have to give to guests on the podcast when they come on. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in there, man. Yeah, get ready for the show to decline precipitously, man. It's going to get bad. You just need to have an espresso machine on hand <laughs> to kind of counterbalance. Yeah, on the break, it's like if you're if you're like Ruben and you're passing out on the break, it's like, all right, somebody get this guy 10 cc's of fucking espresso ASAP. <laughs> hey, seriously, we appreciate you guys listening. Aaron, thank you so much for coming. Oh, my God, and of course. With me, Dude, man. thank you for having me. This yeah. has been a pleasure. Dude, and let's... Let's do it again. Let's let's not only do it again, let's talk about let's talk about getting something on the books for Ruckus over at Seven sure, Circle. Yeah, man. That'd be so I'd love fun. to do it. That'd be a blast. You know, I want to I want to do some all ages stuff, and there's just you know, especially because we're starting to move away from the because all of us are like married with kids and shit now. Right. It's like it's like we're starting to move away from the like the the crazy party band like yeah. this song's about drinking too it's like we're starting <laughs> to move away from that and starting to get interested in yeah. different things and and uh and, and and man i would i would love to i'd love to connect with the kids right you know what i mean i just want to see what all the kids are up to <laughs> i want to turn my chair backwards and my hat backwards <laughs> i want to sit down i want to rap with them about what's going down in their lives anyway <laughs> And, this you know, is the school. Some rock music. There you yeah. would have tipped your hand, I think, on the on the gummy. This is the. <laughs> you've been listening to the motherfucking guidance counselor cast. <laughs> I'm Aaron Howell, Gordo, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Hey guys, Gordo here. Uh, didn't have enough time to get into the one for the homies portion here at the tail end of this episode, so I got in touch with Aaron Say, and he had this to say about his choice. Here are a few tracks in a row from the band Tuck Knee. Super good Denver hardcore punk. They've been a band for just over a year, and they've been rapidly becoming a great part of our community here at 7th Circle. Not to mention that they're also cranking out some of my favorite local music that I've heard in a long time. And this EP was entirely recorded in 7th Circle's basement, which makes my heart swell every time I think about it. Great dudes, great band. These three songs are called Foundation, John, and bust it. They're the centerpiece from Tuckney's newest EP, and they rip. I also wanted to mention that we have some additional content from this episode that's going to play out after the credits. So if you're interested in checking that out, uh, please do let it roll. <laughs> Yeah.
You over there! Ow! <laughs> I just want a fucking beer, man! <laughs> I don't care, I don't care! I just beer! There's a fucking yeah. beer! Ow! There's a beer! listening to a mutiny transmission you can find more podcasts videos books comics and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com or just stop in the store in denver and have a coffee sometime But this will be this will well, be cool. Rolling. See, this will be cool bonus content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, how has Patreon been working for you? Uh, it seems good. I actually, it's been um, other people involved in Seven Circle that are managing that, and I've had literally nothing to do with setting that up, which has been really cool. So to much of what you guys do is is, is from volunteers, right? Oh, all of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what would you say is your specific role in Seven Circle? At at this time, I mean, obviously, when you first started out, you were you were the owner operator and chief bottle washer, right? Yeah. So, what would you say now is is your role? Are you just kind of steering the ship towards what the, the vision is for the for the uh, for the collective, or what? I mean, I I mean, I'm still kind of you know pretty much at the helm of most of it. Um, we're definitely you know a completely volunteer run collective that operates the shows and everything Mm -hmm. and uh i still book 99 percent of the shows uh manage the calendar all that stuff uh do all the business all the fun stuff you know the taxes and the ascap and bmi reporting and all the real fun stuff um but uh you know i mean we have we have all these other creative endeavors that have come out of it like like the patreon is one of them that you know this group of people that are just our volunteers that we're just like hey we think this would be a good idea. And I said, okay, great, go nuts, you know, run with it. And so they created the whole Patreon and everything about it, everything about what the rewards are. And I, I don't even remember. Cause I back you guys on Patreon. Oh, thank you so much. I do. You're so I sweet. Do. Well, no, here's, here's, <laughs> here's the way I look at Patreon is it's like, you know, Gordo and I have talked about the rage economy. I am trying to commit myself to being a, um, to being an investor in the hope economy, okay, you know, or the progress economy, sure, or yeah. the artistic economy, the creative economy, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Right. So what we do uh, with, with our band is we take and we uh, take a chunk of everything that we get from Patreon and we invest that into other creators. Cool. Because the way I look That's at it is, is, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it, 
I, I figure if you do that, then those people might get the hint and they'll go invest in some other people. And it keeps, you know, money needs to move. Right. You know, if you've just got it all coming in and it's not going anywhere else, like to me, from an economic standpoint, with the little bit that I know about economics, which admittedly isn't much, <laughs> you know, but with the little bit that I know about economics, it's like if, if it's not flowing around, if it's not going to a bunch of different places, it's not going to create more of that more of that economic energy for you. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, the way I look at it is, you know, we get people who invest in us and then we think of it as paying tithing in a way, mm -hmm. you know? So we take like 10% of our earnings and those go to you. Uh, I invest in Wisecrack. Um, that guy, Aaron Mankey, who makes Lore. You ever watched Lore? No, I don't know. No, it, it's really cool. It's interesting. It's all, I mean, he has a TV show on Amazon Prime that's okay, but mostly mm. his podcast is what's really good. Cool. And it's all yeah, just like- Yeah, the podcast is way better. Yeah, than, dude. The, yeah. The, the show was really good in the first season, and then got kind of stupid after that. <laughs> but but I still invest in him, because I like the stuff that he does. Sure. And I invest in um, Ichio, cool. um, Cabal, even though you know Cabal isn't a thing anymore. I mm -hmm. invest in Mar. Um, uh, God, who else? You know, just just a handful of, oh, suicide. the Suicide Buddies podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard that no, before. No, I haven't. But it's, so I try and move that around. And what I have found, and, and you might pass this along to some of the Patreon sure, people, yeah. is what I have found is... It's slow to grow it, but if you're consistent, like we produce a ton of content. We yeah. mention the Patreon on every episode. Right. We send a shout out to our patrons on every episode. I, I make several posts a month to them, you know, and, and try and give them as much as possible, even though they don't really want the stuff. Sure. They just want to help. But you have to, you have to, keep showing them that you're doing something with their patronage. Right. You know what I mean? And we haven't seen huge growth since we started doing it. We started out, so you have two ways you can do it. You can do it uh, where people get charged per thing or per month. Mm -hmm. And we initially started out per thing, but then we had no operating capital and, uh, and we yeah. were at a standstill. Sure. So per we, thing is a hard thing to do. It's a hard one to do. And so we wrote all our patrons and we were like, we were like, we are going to switch to per month if any of you want to drop off. I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. And we only lost a couple people and some cool. people reduced their their pledges. Sure. But we still have, we have enough to where it's as though we're playing one good gig a month. Cool. And that allows us to do this. It allows us to uh, pay Jake and our animator Macy to help us make the comic. It helps us to pay a publicist for when we, we do things. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a ton of money, but as this thing grows and the reach expands, sure. I think that'll change. Right. And I think something like Seventh Circle, especially with the good work that you guys do, with mm -hmm. the contribution that you guys make to the community, I think you could get to the point if you really invested time in growing it yeah. and you had someone that that was their whole job was growing the Patreon. Mm -hmm you guys could probably cover your operating expenses if you got high enough. Because if you right. don't mind me asking, what are your monthly operating expenses? It's about two grand a month. About two grand a month. That's yeah. really not that much. Right. So if you got two grand a month, mm -hmm. then everything that you get from shows can go to repairs. Right, other stuff. Upgrades. Upgrade. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. And the people who back us on Patreon, it's only about 30, 31 people. Mm -hmm. But... They do it unflinchingly. Sure. 
Yeah. You know, they're just like, they're like, we just want to, we just want to help you guys. And we're so proud of seeing what you guys are doing. Yeah. And, and I think as time, there's things about Patreon I'm not wild about. You know, there are some people who've bailed on the platform because um, they, they have been accused of limiting free speech on their platform. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. <clears throat> but I mean, that's something that's happening in a lot of, a lot of the media spaces. Right. Is they are, um, because they exist in the social media universe, there is a lot of pressure for them to maintain certain standards. Right. And if somebody does something outside of that, they, they have deplatformed a few people. Gotcha. Um, you know, YouTube has demonetized a few people. Sure. You know, Google actually explicitly admitted that they have limited the reach of, they hold themselves somewhat accountable for Trump getting elected. Whoa. So they have like, there was someone, and this won't be on the live stream. It'll be on the, you know, it'll be on the, the downloadable podcast sure. episode. So, so if anybody out there is listening and, and, and I've got this wrong, I would love to hear what the, what the exact story is. But from what I understand. If I could cut in for a second here. Yeah. We have uh, just one, one matter of business to, uh, if we could just pause for a second. Yeah, we can pause for sure. Welcome to day 35 of the Waking Up Course. <laughs> Today on Sleeping Animals. <laughs> See if you can just immediately go into that state, that constellation of experience. <laughs> just observe the sensations in the body. Observe your heaviness as you're sinking into your chair or, or perhaps your cushion. <laughs> I should do it. We should. This That's should pretty good. The intro, yeah. Dude, I like should it. do. I should do a meditation <laughs> app, man. You should. You should definitely write a script for yourself and do that. <laughs> I can write. I can write the new age weird music that will go behind it. <laughs> <laughs> should I, uh, man? That would that would be kind of weird though to like read the script for your own meditation, like guided meditation. Be like, hello, Aaron. It's Aaron. <laughs> Talking to Aaron. Getting really meta. And it's yeah. just me, myself, and I. <laughs> just go ahead and relax into those beautiful glutes of yours. Um, uh, uh, the other thing that would be re even weirder is to uh, narrate your own erotica. Like, write erotica. That would be super creepy. And then record an audio version of your own erotica. And then, like, put it on when you have when you have a special someone over to the house. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get in the mood with this erotica that I wrote and recorded. <laughs> it's actually uh, fan fiction about how I hope the night goes. <laughs> <laughs> You're not recording any I, of this. I see are what you? you did there. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs>